as surfers, we have a natural love for the ocean, being in the water and chasing thrills. Surfing and surf culture is at the core of Loose. We are a brand made for all-day thrill seekers, experience makers, and good time chasers. Inspired by the elements of surf that excite us the most, we create products begging for adventure, both into the water and out of the water. There's no stamp of approval needed to vibe with our tribe. So drop your inhibitions and get loose because fun feels better. Loose towels. Since 1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for your entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Pack. Customized, eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, EarthPack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. EarthPack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. ColbyPlus.com is a new brand from a very experienced crew in the wetsuit and surf industry. An independently owned and family run business. All of their products are made with the best in the world materials and they only sell direct. So you're getting a top of the line product for much less. Their wetsuit line, Colby Plus Yamamoto uses Yamamoto number 39 and number 40 neoprene propriety jersey and what we believe is the best and most functional design and construction available. Their line of waterproof bags Colby Plus T-Zip feature completely water and airtight German-made T-Zip zippers. They have a tight line of traction and leashes and will have board shorts on the way in the spring featuring Swiss engineered shoulder fabric. They are currently shipping orders to the US, Canada and Australia. For you Aussies and Canadians, unfortunately, the shipping isn't free. ColbyPlus.com, Finless Skateboard Company. To honor our predecessors of surf shapers, we wanted to make sure that our skateboards were completely handmade, made of solid wood, and that the designs, the line work, and aesthetics of our boards are unique to each deck we create. No heat transfers, no stickers, except for our logo. The whole board is made of carefully assembled different species of wood with cores of hard maple and top and bottom sheets carefully assembled with various types of wood species to give our board 
Gardens, the look of a classic 1950s surfboard. Handcrafted is human, handcrafted is thoughtful, handcrafted is quality, handcrafted is community. Finless Skateboard Company. Here we go. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky Podcast. Before we start off, special occasion. Thank you, Surf Ride. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. We're here at the world famous Surf Ride in Oceanside. Uh, there's Live. probably like, I don't know, maybe like 30. Oh, maybe, like 150 people. Yeah, like a thousand people here. here. Everybody. The fire department. The fire department called. They're going to shut us down. Yeah. Uh, thank you to Shoots. Yep. Shoots yeah, Pokey and Beer for supplying uh, beers and sushi. Yeah, that was delicious. But yeah, thank you, Josh Bernard, for uh, putting this together. I was uh, pleasantly surprised a couple weeks ago when uh, I got a text from Josh. He's like, hey, I've been thinking uh, about this. Tell me what you think. We want to let's do a podcast at the shop. And I was like, you had me at hello. You know, so uh and, and then he said, hey, what do you think about doing this with Gary Linden? I'm like, fuck yes. That's a, that's a bonus. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Yeah. All right. Keep the F-bombs down. All okay. right. Let's get her in our, All right. our intro. Our guest this week has been a legend in the surf scene for decades. From shaping his first board at 17 years old, now he's 55 years of experience working with some of the world's best surfers. From his proprietary board designs to his high-performance shapes, shapes specializing in mid-wave guns, he continues to push the evolution in board design, performance, and construction using, using sustainable materials and practices. Way to go. That's Thank awesome. You. He's also a huge contributor to the competitive surfing world as a judge, former president of the ASP, which is pre-WSL. And he was founder of the Big Wave World Tour. Thank you very much for that. To this day, he continues to be involved in organizing events and leading his commentary, commentary expertise to Big Wave events each year. He's got something brewing. We're going to talk about it. We're honored to sit down with this Big Wave charger, pioneer, waterman, and iconic shaper, Mr. Gary Whitey Linden. Yeah. Thank you. We're honored. Thank you guys for showing up. This is awesome. Yeah, this is uh, an honor for us. We've had a lot of uh, respectable guests, and you're definitely on the top of the charts right now. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, that means a lot to me, you know. And uh, after an introduction like that, what can you say? But well, it could have been ten minute monologue, but man, you, you've accomplished so much and gave yeah. so much to the community of surfing. You know, that's like I started surfing when I was twelve. I started organizing surf contest for my my surf club at 15 i started shaping at 17 and i've been so fortunate because that's what i've done my whole life yeah. yeah you know if you ask me a question about something else i might be able to answer it but <laughs> those three things i pretty much got it down you know well let's start with the nicknames Oops. how how do we get whitey well i was this little kid and uh yeah had snow white hair and we lived across from the elementary school where the little league practiced and and when i was six i'd go over there and hang out with my glove you know and hey can i go shag some balls or something like that i just went i, I was a sports enthusiast i i love sport and uh 
So you couldn't play Little League till you're eight. But I kind of just hung out and everything. And, you know, so I was a little kid. And there was a famous pitcher on the Yankees. His name Whitey Ford. Mm. So somebody called me Whitey. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. I'll, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll stick with that, you know. And it's so funny. The kids that knew me then and then later, you know, some of the girls I knew didn't know my name was Gary, you know. Yeah. Because uh, just nickname stuck. It just stuck, and and so I, I just became a grandfather about eight years ago, and I didn't want to be grandpa, or you know, whatever. So I became Whitey. So my grand <laughs> my grandson calls me Whitey. You know, nice. I, I kind of like it. You know, because right now I'm Whitey again. I came in white, and I'm going out white. You know. So. <laughs> it's- Better than what most of us could say, you know, going in, bald, coming out bald. Have you ever named a board Whitey or? No, no, no. It's, it's kind of it's kind of special for me, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a baseball name, you know. It's yeah. not a surfboard name. So where where did you grow up, and how did you find surfing? Well, I was born in El Centro, uh, which is a desert on the other side of the mountains, and uh, that's where my mom, my mom and her family were from, and my dad grew up in Hermosa Beach, hmm. and they got married. Uh, you know, right before World War II, and after the war, my dad went back and tried to be a farmer. <laughs> Didn't work out so well, and uh, he got a job in San Diego. And so, eventually, moved the family over. And like by the time I was four, we started living in San Diego. And I had really—I was a sick little kid, man. I had uh, really bad asthma and everything, and and um, so took me to the doctor and and uh, San Diego and in those days you didn't have specialists and everything you kind of just it was a 50s you know 56 or something like that so you you got lucky and had one doctor and he knew everything you know and that you went to the doctor and you didn't go oh, I got bruised here or something like that but so uh, he told my dad he goes um, you know the best thing for asthma and allergies and stuff going to the beach the salt water at the beach my dad's just gone oh don't make me do that you know (laughs) (laughs) so he started taking me to the beach every weekend taught me about the currents and swim in and you know raft and everything and so i start start surfing and just got i just started loving the beach loving the ocean so you're talking late 50s early 50s early 50s yeah and was there already a surf scene? Not really. Okay. It was, it was mostly you, you could go rent those mats like Greeno. Would rent, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. What you, Rubber inflatable yeah. mats. Yeah. And, and you know what was cool about starting that way is you really learned about the currents. You learned about waves and you learned, you know, all the how to watch the waves and how to read the waves and how to be with the ocean, you know. Who was teaching you this, your dad or like other people? My dad. Hmm. And how'd he? Well, he grew up on uh, Hermosa Beach. Okay. In the, in the teens, when when it was the last stop on the train from LA and there was just nothing. He said he walked, you know, he'd go barefoot out there in the sand dunes and stuff. And so he grew up in the ocean. So that's why he was, you know, really. You're you're talking no swim fins, just the mats. Just the mats. So like. Yeah. yeah, the currents and all of that is like you got to be very careful because it's like you don't have any power. No power, and you're yeah. a little skinny little kid. Yeah, you know? yeah. You, you, have to, you have to learn. You yeah. know, and but your dad wasn't a surfer 
he he body surfed, okay. you know, but he and he swam in the ocean. He was in the ocean all the time, but yeah. there was no surf. He said he tried it with the ironing board once, when, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but didn't work out so good, so he didn't stick with it. But and and a lot of people that we've interviewed in the past have said that the surf scene in Hermosa, like or the South Bay, that's kind of where the surf industry grew or, or came from. Right, like board building. Well, yeah, board building was, you know, from what I've heard, you know, there's a lot more people up there. Yeah. And, um, but there's a there's a large group in San Diego. Not a large group. There was a group in San Diego. Yeah. Um, but it's more rural down here. Wasn't as developed as. We the materials. You know, we we had this was the highway between here, and it, and it was one lane going. This way and the other way going there, it used to be Suicide Lane right up by Trestles. And I remember driving up to LA. My, I'm just getting my license. I'm 16 and I'm driving. There's You're going 65 miles an hour going that way, and the other guy's going 65 miles an hour going this way. And you're, you know, One highway. Oh man, this, <laughs> you know, the car's kind of rattling and it's pretty scary. But um, there, there were a lot with the, the board builders. Um, now, I don't know about the Redwood and everything else, but I know that the balsa came in to the port in Long Beach, and it never made its way down to San Diego. They snagged it all up before. So how I got into making the agave boards is um, one of the guys I made, kids I made boards for, Mark Bracker, Brian Bracker from La Jolla. His dad was a surgeon, and he had a hobby of woodworking, and he like a lot of doctors volunteer helping older surfers because none of them really put anything away didn't have insurance and he was mm -hmm. helping this old guy and the guy uh made him a little replica redwood and agave board wow. and he goes this is what we used in in 1936 Dang. and gave it to to mark and he oh agave you know and he, la jolla the canyon's full of it so he started make trying to make these blanks and and they weren't coming out that good. So his son goes, good, let's take him up, have Gary, um, you know, do it. He, he's, he's done that, you know. So so that's why I started making it. And, and the story that the guy told him was that we couldn't get any agave, or we get any balsa, because the guy's up, up, up in L.A. grabbed all. them all up. So going back to you, though, finding surfing, how did you find surfing? Board surfing? Yeah. Well, um... I was, my sister was six years older than, than me, and, you know, in those days it was all like, you know, football players and everything, and these, you know, she'd go out with these football players and everything, and they're all just being, kissing her ass and everything, and, <laughs> you know, and, and then she, she started dating this surfer, and he'd never show up, he'd make dates with her, he wouldn't show up, and, She'd be so pissed off. That's and how girls, you do it. Girls know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Play hard to get. Oh, man, I was so classy. I, I love the guy. I go, you're giving shit to my sister? I, you know, I mean, this is great. You know, I'm going to be a surfer, you know. So, you know. This guy's cracked the code. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Um, so so the, what she, she dumped him. She couldn't take it. She didn't have much patience, but... Or he dumped her, I don't know. But uh, she had another boyfriend, and, and his parents were from Arizona, and they rented a house up here in 
Carlsbad, right at the military academy. You know, it's funny, it's that's the closest beach I'm to, but they had this surfboard, and I got to try it, and I went, I paddled out, you know, and didn't get very far, and nobody was helping me, but I didn't get to my feet, but I'm never going to forget the feeling of catching my first wave, and it was like... And what kind of board? Like, like Oh, it's a long board, weighed probably more than I did. Well, that's, you, yeah, you know, how do you so, even get it down? Was it down? wood, or was it... Foam. Foam. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. And so I caught a I caught a couple of waves and just remember the the rush of riding the soup even you know was, how, how old were you? I was twelve. Twelve. You skinny kid. Yeah. Boards probably thirty pounds at least. Probably thirty pounds. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I had a a, a paper route. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was it was one of those paper route uh, routes where. You throw the paper there, and, and then at the end of the month, you try and go collect $2. It was like volunteer paper, you know? And, and I started the route, and there was four paying customers, and I, I worked it up to, to 40 because, wow. you know, I got a good smile, and I was nice, and, you know, they, I was a little kid, and they, they, they wanted to give me some money, you know? So I saved up, and I had 20 bucks one month, and, I'm, and I started looking at the one ads I wanted to get a board. And I found this one board, and it was a balsa wood board. And it was just beat up, and it weighed about 40 pounds, and it was like eight foot, and about, I think it was a garage built thing. It was just a mess. Eight, a short board then? It was eight foot, yeah. <laughs> That's a short board for well, that. Well, not for a little guy like me, you know. And uh, so it was 20 bucks. So I had the money, and I paid for it. 20 and, bucks. And I brought it home, and my dad. You know, he was a kind of grew up in depression, so he, he, uh, he fixed everything. You know, he didn't never nobody ever the house, the car. He yeah. he did everything. Jack all trades. I so, wish I was like that. Yeah. So <laughs> we had some tools in the garage and uh, board with all these things and everything, and and uh, so I learned we we fixed it up. You know, we learned yeah. to fix it up. Was there a logo on the board? No, just it was just a balsa garage. board. Yeah, I, it, nobody had too many logos. Like it was old one. I think it was just built. You know, there weren't too many garage built surfboards. You know, yeah. so I think it was a professional one. But you look at the old Quigs or you know all the old boards, and there's yeah. no logos. They didn't even sign them. You know, yeah. there's so like many I, backyard or you know shapers that didn't really. It was have no a brand they just built boards yeah because it was cheaper to, than to buy it well you couldn't get them yeah you know so so i i dragged that thing down to the beach it took me about six months before i could stand up and turn you know so because no one's helping you nobody's helping there's no surf schools and then the summer is over and then you're 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 freezing no wetsuits yeah so you you know you're was going, there other kids trying to surf yeah there was a little group yeah. You know, uh, I live in Claremont, so we'd go down and surf Pacific Beach. How would you get to the beach? Um, <laughs> well, my mom will have a, a Willys Jeepster, 1950 Jeepster convertible. And you put the seat down, and we could put like four longboards in going like that. And then my mom would drive, and there was one, you, one person could sit next to my mom, and then two people All could kind seats? of sit. What's that? Like bench seats across bench the country. Yeah. yeah, but the but the, the front bench seat would fold up down by the on the passenger side, so we could put the boards all the way through. Yeah, and they stick out the back, and then uh, and we get about three of us, and 
you know, my mom's a little tiny. Little, this, I've still got the car. <laughs> what? I what? still yeah. have the car. Yeah. My, my Does it still run? It still runs. My dad re- re- wow. spent his whole life restoring it, sat in a garage for 20 years after he died. And my mom just died, so I got it now. And I've got it running and stuff, so. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Can we please get pictures of that thing? Yeah. I, got a, I was trying to sell it, but, you know, because I don't have a garage to put it in, but. <laughs> I don't know. We might might start driving it around to the beach you know, yes, on Sunday yeah. or something like that. But that was our our surf car, and uh, you know then we had a little group of kids. You know that you know sometimes somebody else would drive, but we we go down the beach on Saturday. Uh, you know, and after after a while, so that was my first. I learned to fix the board. So then I became the ding repair guy. Nice for for better in the paper route. I didn't charge, dude. I mean, <laughs> these are all my my friends, and basically, I learned, you know, on their boards. So <laughs> the first ones weren't pretty. So, so yeah. you got the handiness from your dad, like fixing yeah. all things. Like, hey, I'm gonna, you know, and resin, that. fiberglass, that kind of. Yeah, and then I started making uh, laminated wood skateboards and fiberglass in the bottom, so the trucks hold on, and had a little skateboard team. And what? Yeah. At what age? I was about 14. Wow. Started making your own skateboards? Yeah. Out I of, still got a couple of them. Out of wood? Out of wood. I'd laminate, like, like so, I told you my dad was like, depression thing, so. Yeah. Do it yourself. We, yeah, but we never threw anything away. Yeah. You know, so it was like, okay, I'm gonna make a skateboard. I'm gonna have a big piece of wood, but I got, five little pieces of wood i'm gonna glue them together and make a board you know <laughs> what so, kind of wheels and trucks did you use we, we started well, the, the first ones we started with was um a two by four about that big and you take a a wheel a steel wheel skate and then break it half and put it on the nose and thing and that was pretty pretty scary there's this hill by my house and we just like you'd hit a rock and just like that and so yeah. and this, this is before clay wheels yeah before clay wheels yeah. And then we started taking uh, roller rink uh, skates. You know, skates apart, and then we had some clay wheels. And then I started making, you know, laminated wood ones. And I got they're pretty. I got two of them from wow. from, from one original batch, you know. And I had a. Were you giving those away? Or were you selling them? Three bucks a board, man. Damn. <laughs> did you did you have a a name for your skateboard company? Linden Linden Skateboards. I got had <laughs> logos and everything, you know. I, my friend. Why did you call him Whitey? Because that was like baseball, you know. You want to be Whitey going to the beach on all white skin and everything. I never got a tan or anything, so I want to be Whitey at the beach. Whitey is a, a funny, good name, though. Like, it's a good that's one. a good surfboard name. It's a good, it's, yeah. yeah and it's because most name. boards are white and, and it's your nickname. It makes sense, but. Yeah, yeah. So. so you said you it took you six months to ride that thing or well, figure it out or yeah well, it was so heavy and I, you know I was like it weighed half of me I weighed probably 80 or something 85 and it probably weighed 40 so it's like it was so hard to turn it was like 18 inches wide and a double ender it, it just was a terrible surfboard yeah but I love it. I wish I still had that. Thing. Were you learning about other breaks to go to? Like at no, that? that's what I see. we okay. So there was a the seawall. There's Crystal Pier, and then the south side is swimming only, and then there's a seawall. Yeah. And that that's where you had to go to learn. 
because on the north side of the pier, that's where the that's where the crew was. You know, like can't go there. You could go there. You could go there after a while. But it was like Butchburn, Archdalen, and oh shit, you know, all the Skip Fry and Henson and Gary Cook and you know the who's who of yeah surfing for for at that time yeah. And select surf shop was up on the top of Emerald Street, but so to what get, beach is this? I'm sorry. Uh, North Crystal Pier, Pacific Beach. Pacific Beach. Okay. So it took me six months before I could go and and surf there. But in six months, you got good enough to surf there. I got good enough to go catch a couple waves there, but you still had to go through uh, initiation process. Yeah. We we Localism, talk about them, you guys. <laughs> yeah, Localism. we we talk about that a lot and how gnarly it is when you're a Grom and you're looking up to these older dudes that don't necessarily want to share stuff with you, especially their spot. Nope. But once you get better and better, that kind of wall Bear, between yeah. it kind of comes down once you start proving yourself, right? Well, that. I think they just wanted to torture some people. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we got we got stuffed in big garbage cans and rolled down the hill. We got buried in sand and wrapped up in seaweed and buried in sand and you know a lot of fun stuff. And you know, once you got through it, I wish we could bring that stuff back, right? Oh, oh you would man, be so buried. You, oh. Your parents would be parents down there, you know, like your parents weren't around. That was a good thing about being like you could. You know, you could start hitchhiking to the beach and rent a garage down there and leave your boards there yeah. and, and get to hang out. And there was no parents around. Yeah. You know, and that was the fun it part. It was free babysitting for your parents. Like, hey, he's out of trouble. He's doing something healthy. Yeah. He's at the beach. We can leave him alone. Like your generation, our, our, my generation, it was like leave in the morning, come home when the street lights came on. That yeah. was it. Right? That was it. Like, we don't care what you do. No cops, no hospital. Be home when the streetlights come on, right? Don't get caught. <laughs> I, I remember Halloween when I was seven, just taking off on my own. My grandson is eight. I don't think he'd find his way home. Yeah. If, 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 if yeah. Nobody was there to guide him, you know? Yeah. Well, Herbie Fletcher was telling us he had a job at like freaking eight years old. I'm like, what? Yeah. So, yeah. Like, you start working early. Yeah. yeah. Paper out, mowing lawns. God, you just. Mowing lawns are just like the worst thing ever. Uh, well, it, it, the pay was so bad, and people treated you like so bad, like you know, because you're the neighborhood kid. So, okay, mow my lawn is like you need a four wheel drive, you know, <laughs> lawnmower to yeah. get through their crappy lawns. And, and they stuff. pay what, two or three bucks? Oh, come on. A buck fifty was a good. <laughs> wow. Good, but, you know, Oof. gas was 25 cents. Yeah. Too, so. But man, yeah, manual labor. But yeah, if, so, you're, if you're not passionate about it, then yeah, you know, yeah. not mowing. So you're in the surfing. You you start surfing next to these freaking legends. Um, how was your progression? Did you and did you get a new board? Like, yeah, I got a new board. I I uh, <laughs> my second board was um, a Duane. And it was a it was a molded board, and, molded. and and they had this thing you can't ding a Dwayne, you know. Wow! And it had that this fiberglass rope going around where the seam where the mold was, and it was just like wrecked your legs. But it was light, 
they have like a bellow on the on the rail or was it no the, the like so so where the where the seam came there was two parts where the seam came together they put this little rope mm. it was about that big around right in there so it's like looked like a stretch rail or something yeah. like that you know that's where they sealed the two together yeah and so uh, was surfing big was it popular was it trendy was it like well this was 1962 <laughs> so Gidget had come out the Beach Boys were seeing you know that's so surfing now yeah, you know up. so it was every you know everybody was you know why about you know dancing and stuff <laughs> like that you know it's pretty cool you know it was, yeah. a, it was a cool time and and you drive to the beach you had your boards on the top and somebody coming up the other way that you go like that and they go yeah or they go like that so yeah. it's good or it's bad and it's like it's like uh you know you felt like um part of a club it was a little cult yeah you know like it was a little thing that and you go to school you know and a couple of people would surf and uh, you know yeah, yeah. Surf, you know, surfers yeah surfers and you know all, like still was football and all you know those guys were the guys that were yeah you know but we would look at them going, yeah okay you're, whatever. you're growing up a hair under endless summer right yes i saw the original endless summer bruce brown uh narrated yeah you know, that was another thing surf movies were killer yeah, yeah you go to the real theater yeah and it was packed house yeah packed house and you know Put every the bottle caps in the back I the everybody there is pretty Smelling much a, some a weird course, stuff course course <laughs> yeah, there, it, there's yeah. no there's no weed that you know there were, i mean they were, probably was but it wasn't, you know, out yeah. and open, yeah. yeah. So this molded board, what did you pay for this one? Okay, so my dad goes, okay, I'm going to get you. You're getting good. You're get really a, passionate get about it. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like you could come to surf ride and go, well, let me see which one do I <laughs> yeah. want, you know. we So we started driving up the coast and stopping at all the surf shops that there were, the independent ones, you know. There were, just, there were not too many. There, there was some surf shops. There were some surf shops. Can, can I stop you for a second sure. there? How weird is it that whenever, like, ho- like we talk about this a lot, how when there's Hollywood makes a movie and they're surfing in it, there's such a craze, like a boom in our industry, like with Gidget and Beach Blanket Bingo, Endless Summer, and then even down the line with, Beach like, Boys, Fast yeah. Times at Ridgemont High and big wednesday it's like it's all like blue crush like all these big movies from hollywood our industry kind of blows up with it right yeah because it takes uh you know surfing to the the masses to mainstream you know, yeah that bigger reach there and and for somebody like Dwayne to come out with a board right that is a, a mold like who would have thought there's a foam molded board back then no way. Because that's so, like, you're talking 60s. That's the 60s, but, you know, the first actual polyurethane boards were made by Dave Sweet and uh, in, in um, Santa Monica. And he had, his blank molds were um, movable, so he could make a custom blank. So the board didn't hardly have to be shaped at all. Hmm. But that was the first one. Steve Robertson, some Hollywood actor, banked him. Wow. Yeah. And that, that was, so it was, the concept was there. Those were the first foam boards ever made. I mean, not they. Um, Bob Simmons made styrofoam boards. You use styrofoam as a core and then 
plywood and you know strengthen but, it and but yeah. yeah but he didn't he didn't use a, a you know polyurethane so you're shopping with your dad looking for a board there's no kid boards at this time it's no, just no, all no, adult big no kid boards. no kid board you know or smaller sizes for right you know your and, and so we got all the way to redondo wow and but it was it was really cool. I we went to like Wardy, and I, I got I got to see a lot of shops that I wouldn't have seen. Yeah, like it was a big. It Imagine was a you guys big deal going, you know, the road like that all the way to L.A. Yeah, it was a big deal. And like uh, how many stoplights? Hardly any, right? There was a few. Yeah, yeah. but one it, no freeway, no freeway. PCH from Crystal or OB all or Pacific Beach all the way to Redondo Beach. All the way. So the only stretch, like what I told you, was Suicide Alley was uh, right at Pendleton there. Yeah. That was the only stretch that didn't have stoplights. So, yeah, man, I'm putting it in third, and I'm putting my foot down in the pedal, and I'm going to get this car going. And that road still exists down there. It's the yeah. bike path, you yeah. guys. Yeah. Like, so if you're driving, you see it down there. That's the old PCH. or That's where people park for the contest, right? Yeah. 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 And it goes, yeah, all the way past lookout so we get to the shop in in uh in redondo and there's this board you know and uh it's they had a duane and and so we had surf magazines in and you know the ad was like can't ding a duane i'm going wow that'd be it's gonna put me out of business but i i want to <laughs> i want to try one mcginnis will learn to fix them and i'll, I'll be okay then, you know? <laughs> but um they didn't have the size and that I, you know, they didn't have something, I don't know, but we ended up going out inland to where the guy had his factory. And mm. there was this one that was a second and it was 60 bucks. And the boards were, were newer, like 110, 120 at the time. And it was 8.6 and it didn't weigh anything. And if you'd had a board that was so heavy, you couldn't carry it. And this one, all of a sudden, it's like, featherweight compared to that 15 pounds or 20 pounds or something like that i'm getting of course it was a deal so my dad was happy about that but i kind of turned into the laughing stock of the crew though because (laughs) it wasn't a real shape yeah yeah but but it it worked okay and then then i got a gordon smith and had a couple gordon smiths and custom boards how did that board work though worked pretty good yeah i mean it um like i said getting your Legs, I get I, all the inside of my legs or knees are bruised because I hit that edge thing, you know. The rope. Yeah, but it, it, it was an improvement on what I had. Yeah. I got a little better. My dad would take the whole crew. We'd go down on Saturday, and he'd super. They it wasn't even super eight, but that's but it was a, like. He video guys. He film. Us. Wow. So he'd film us on the weekend, wow. and then Friday nights we'd have surf night at my at my house where we'd come over and we'd watch ourselves surfing from the last week how sick was that like expensive to yeah. like buy the film and, and that equipment or i don't know he had it all i mean it, it wasn't expensive or he wouldn't have had it yeah you know, you know it's just interesting you yeah. know because you, you know the equipment back then just seemed like yeah. very far and few had that uh, accessibility yeah, it, or yeah, passion what, for it you know knack it, was, it. it was more passion yeah. you know it's like it was intricate uh, it was a uh a luxury, but it wasn't an extreme luxury, you know. Yeah. It's not like the iPhone. It's cool how your dad just <laughs> totally supported what you were doing. My dad was the coolest guy in the, in the whole world. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because, you know. And what did he do for work? Um, he was a lieutenant colonel in the uh, Army Reserve, and he was, uh, he was a training director for the county of San Diego. So, um, so what did he think of surfers? Because I know at that time back then, surfers, <laughs> you, you know, if you were an officer in the frickin', you know. Yeah, well, it, that, that's the that's thing. My, my dad, um, he, you know, Austrian, he, he was from immigrant Austrian parents, okay. you know. And his dad died when he was seven years old. So he kind of grew up without a dad and had to work and, you know. And so what he wanted to be most was be a good dad. Right? Yeah, you got lucky. Yeah, and uh, I really did. Yeah. I really did. It was and just you and your sister, older sister? Yeah, just you and just my sister. You. But... Because um, Germans are mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, they you could know, be, right? You know, funny thing is... In those days, it was Austro-Hungary was the country, you know? And my grandmother was from what is today Slovakia. Mm. And my grandfather is from Innsbruck, Austria. And this last summer, I went and uh, my wife and I had a riverboat cruise through the Danube, and it goes from Germany to Hungary. Cool. So, so we went, stopped in Austria, and then we went and we stopped in Slovakia. And Austria is like, like, you yeah. know, like nothing's out of place. Everything's correct. Yeah. All really on the on the mark. And that was my grandfather, I guess. And my grandma, Slovakia is like, whoa, like California. They make a lot of wine, and you know, they uh, live in life. It, it was, it was. I felt really good there, you know. I, <laughs> Less stress. I, I liked it. It was good. And but my grandmother raised my dad, and but. So my dad was understanding, but he was also on yeah. time. Yeah. You know, and so he, he was a good officer. Yeah. You know, and uh, so he taught me to be punctual, but also be compassionate and understanding. That's cool. So good balance. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Was, so he, you know, he would, he would, uh, you know, look at me a couple times. You know, when I got older, and you know, wonder what I was doing. And yeah. Stuff, but. He had, he had a lot of confidence in me, you know, because because I, I learned to toe the line. You know, I got good raids, and you know. Well, that's important. I mean, especially in surfing, we talk about when you're in a, a sport at school, or you know, the age groups are really like kind of tight. You know, you're within a few years, but in surfing, you're hanging out with like men and adults, and you're starting out at a young age. So there's all these different influences, and yeah. you know that gap is, you know, quite extraordinary when it comes to like. How people behave or what they're into and here you are exposed to it all so it's easy to get kind of yeah when you look back and you think gosh that guy was 18 years old and i was 12 or 14. he was a man he was, he was like an a, adult yeah. you know like the, the, just, that age gap is so much more but in the that. water you know yeah it, all of those kind of go side they go to the side so you we're, know? we're talking now you're in your teenage years yeah like 60s right and surfing is starting to morph from Gidget from Endless Summer to 70s kind of hippie right like yeah 
tell us, well, just let's hear about the magazines because that was such a big influence. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, what were, the, what were the magazines back then? Well, the first one was Surfer Magazine. Yeah. The first magazine I ever bought was Surfer and had L.J. Richards was on the cover. Nice. Oceanside Local. Still, you can still beat him. Yeah. You know, but. Uh, and then, then came Surf Guide. And Surf Guide was really cool. Hmm. That was a cool one. I don't think I've ever heard of Surf Guide. Yeah. Have you? I'll, no. no. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you. A, was it a San Diego local? No, or? it was a. It was a mainstream. I think it was Dana Point. All, all Orange County was where all the, you know, pretty Max much hub. But um, the guy uh, did really. He focused more on not the local contests or stuff or Hawaii and California. He, he focused on, you know, take a trip to Spain or, mm. you know, surf Morocco or, you know, there was a picture of Buzzy Trent was on the cover with one, you know, Big Wave Rider. Yeah. So we did a little bit, little bit more artsy view or, yeah. and, and made it more, it made me want to, you know, I always wanted to travel and stuff, you know, and go out and meet other people and be in other cultures and and be a surfer. Yeah. And I just didn't want to stay here and, you know. Isn't that what End the Summer kind of did? It was like... Well, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a thing, but... But it, it, this was more... Like, in the summer, like, I'm going to go to South Africa? Are you kidding me, dude? I, mean, yeah. I can barely get to... <laughs> LA, you know, <laughs> this made it seem more like tangible, doable. Yeah, yeah, doable. You know, somebody they're living in their car, or they're you know they met somebody that took them to a bullfight, and you know something. Yeah, it's, it's, that you could relate to. Yeah, they're real storylines to yeah. go with it. Like it wasn't Mike Hinson with the slick back hair and the suit and Robert August, Filmer and, all and that. All yeah. The yeah. yeah, they look really freaking cool. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Still cool, dude. Still, to this day, I'd, still, I'd love to look like that. Yeah, yeah he's a style guy, you know. But. Yeah, but that's where, you know, the magazines, they drew so much inspiration on, like, travel and where to go, you know. But the it, early things, it was more like, yeah, there was a contest at Oceanside Pier and LJ won, you know. Or, you know, it was more a couple shots of Hawaii. We took the winner to Hawaii. So every, everybody from my generation that lived here thought you had to go to Hawaii that was the next step, you know, and Hawaii was the next proving ground. Yeah, because yeah. that's all you ever ever saw. And then Australia was way out there, and that was a whole different culture. You know, you might not get there. Where was your first like, like surf trip? Surf trip or out of the states, Mexico? <laughs> we would say Mexico. Yeah, when I was four, fifteen. No, I went. My first trip was Hawaii. My Parents. Wife, but my dad uh, was a training director for the county, so Hawaii just become a state. So they paid. Wait, Hawaii just became a state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to Hawaii. <laughs> so it was pretty funny, you know. That is funny. So we got to go. It was a, you know, it's it it's what started my whole thing because. The, the state of Hawaii paid my dad to come over and do these seminars. So the first week we were on Oahu for a whole week. And the wives of the people that were in the seminars with my dad took my mom and I on 
and the kids from the other people that were okay took us around the island cool. and to all these cool places you know like and you're already surfing i was already surfing yeah yeah i that, got to i got to go to makaha and get a custom pair of Emney shorts. Emney. Emney, which was the. Oh. Yeah. President Kennedy got Emney yeah. shorts. Wow. I got a pair of Emney shorts, custom made for me. Came back and yeah, I'm pretty styling. Dude. Yeah. But that's huge. <laughs> it was so. It and was did so you know cool. about that, or just happened to saw like a scene? You know. Yeah, I knew about it. Okay, yeah, so you, so, yeah, okay, we, mom we, or whoever, like we got to go over to Makaha. No, well, they took us to Makaha anyway, but Emney okay. shorts was like. Um, this little old couple in Waianae, mm. you know, and their uh, one had one leg and the other had one, you know, they, they were really handicapped and they sewed in this little wood little shack and, you know. So cool. Was, Did you see any Hawaiian surfers that you, you saw in the mags or knew? Yeah. 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 It, it, it was it's such a small little world. and. But the best part, so the second week we got to go to the big island for two days. Maui for two days and Kauai for two days. In Kauai, there was one hotel or motel that had like uh, I think eight rooms. <laughs> eight. Yeah, eight eight little things. It's you know, it's just it was just. How was it traveling with your board? Like, or did you rent or use? I rented a board. Rented boards. It was it was my board cost one hundred twenty five. And one way to Hawaii was 25, and one way back was 25. So right. I was going to leave my board here. And, and uh, on the other islands, I didn't surf, but I did, I did rent a board in Waikiki. Decent board, and like surfing was booming in Hawaii? It, you know, surfing has been happening in Waikiki <laughs> yeah. forever, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. So you had a board you know, yeah. you're, it, you're comfortable with, and didn't really matter you're in Hawaii? It didn't matter, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, but that started, but the second trip, my dad took my me and my best friend to Mazatlan wow, on good. Mexican bus. What? So we couldn't from take here? The, from here from TJ TJ 24 hours and we couldn't take first class bus which had air conditioning cuz it wouldn't put our boards in but second class we got to put our boards in the aisle next to the chickens and the pigs and they're right in the aisle people were <laughs> tripping over them and everything else and you know we took the train back and what was special about Mazatlan? Like, was it just like a start? You know, warm and tropical, and and it's a different language. Yeah, but Mexico's like, I mean, that's. But you heard that far. there's waves down there, or yeah, we heard there's waves there in Mazatlan. So, that there was some pretty good waves, and you know, all the all the there are only other surfers there from Texas, and so we surfed. Me and my buddy surfed a lot better than they did, so it was pretty <laughs> fun, you know, and. Uh, you're like Texas. There's ways in Texas. <laughs> no, but those no. guys are gung ho, but they could drive down easier, easier, or way yeah. closer. Yeah, yeah. And then we did that the next year again too. So I did that two years in a row, and then take the bus. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Twenty four hours. Twenty four hours. No pit stops. No other surf spots on the way. No, you had to take your. You know, you. you, you it, it's funny, you know. Like I, I always traveled through Mexico and all those places and stuff by bus yeah so i didn't ever uh you know i didn't drive so you're limited to where you're going where you're going you know yeah. last stop mazatlan <laughs> <laughs> any uh other other trips hawaii mexico as, as like as you're developing youth like oh, yeah I, yeah i went to hawaii 
again when I was 17 with my surf club, I was at Las Olas and sold, uh, went around and asked for prizes from the La Jolla merchants and then raffled them off and sold raffle tickets to pay for your guys' trip. trip. So what was the surf club about? Like how did you organize and was there other surf clubs? Yeah, there was other surf, the big surf club, the, the, the one like was Winded Sea Surf Club. Mm. And for surfing, that was like hell, the Hell's Angels. Yeah, wow. I mean, you, you, it was, you couldn't get in. Right? Who, who was part of that? Well, Mike Hinson, Skip Fry, Butch Van Artsdalen, Barry Kanai, Pooney, every, all the- Gnarly people. All the best surfers on the coast. They won everything. When they mm. go surf, there would be Bay Cities and Malibu Surf Club. And there's there a few clubs up and down the coast, but Winded Sea won everything. But there was a club in Ocean Beach, and it was Las Olas, and I tried out for that, and I got on that team, the club, and then uh, became the contest director. And that's I, that's I, your start. That was my start, and it was pretty funny. And then about two years later... So can I interject? Yeah. So clubs, surf clubs, were ha- happening up and down the coast Yeah, in, in the early 60s. Early 60s. Oh, wow. And was this okay. to kind of protect, is like the local boys that protect the spot or to kind of like regulate or what was it, it, it just it, a camaraderie? Was so, well, it was, it was, uh, you know, it was like a, we had contests. Mm. Um, it was a, a, a mark, a status. Yep. And, and our club was pretty cool because we'd have these uh, parties with all the girl that the girls high school would have girls clubs. You know, we're like sororities. Yeah, for and, the clubs. And and they had their little club, and then we'd have parties with them, you know? So you'd yeah. meet girls from Point Loma or, you know, yeah. all over the city. It was kind of fun. Yeah. We had parties. So we had social life, and we had competition, and we had a little, little bit of status. It's what? a trip because, yeah. like, you know, we're part of Huntington Beach Board Riders Club uh-huh. and West Coast Board Riders Club just kind of launched what like six years ago seven years ago yeah and now it's become a a big thing again uh-huh. u.s board but you guys are. did it way back then yeah you know because i've heard it before from other people how different surf spots had surf clubs and had a similar things that we're, what we're doing now we used to go down to uh san miguel we, and there, there was a baja surf club down there we have contests with them and it, that was like just a free-for-all man it's like we'd go down we set up our tents and and then we'd go into town and there was four like bars kind of it was like who songs yeah <laughs> still so there we started who songs and the drinking age was 18 but me and my buddy like we were the youngest ones and we were the littlest ones we were like 15 or something but there'd be like 10 of us so we go into who songs and they go, give us a round, and then they kick us out. Because they were going to turn down 10 drinks, you know? Yeah. And then they kick us out because I was too young. Then we'd go to the hotel across the street. And, and, Get around, and Same yeah. thing. And then there was another place and another place. And by the end of the street, you know, we're going four drinks. And you're like, well, kid, we go back to <laughs> San Miguel, throw up, and wake up the next morning and surf, yeah. you know? But it was fun. You know, being in a club, you could go, oh, yeah. Our, our club advisor is going to be chaperoning us. So your parents would go, oh, okay, I'll let you go. You so know? so did you start surfing for 
what'd you say, Las Olas? Las Olas. And then surfing against clubs up and down the coast? Yeah, or? well, mostly we just surfed in the, at, at the Baja Surf Club, you know. Sick. And then... Would they set you up, like, or come, hey, we're coming down, and would they yeah. look after you? And, like, we'd hey, have a contest. Yeah. yeah we'd like, have a contest with them and, you know, hang out with them and stuff. So What a good way to be in with the locals. Like, yeah. hey, we're going to come down. And I'm very proud that I'm the longest standing surfer at San Miguel. Wow. From all the guys that surfed there and stuff, I'm still out there, you know. Awesome. And then it's like a lot of pride, you know, and I get a lot of respect for the crew there because, you know, all the, all the older guys know, you know. Yeah. So so that's when you first dipped your toes in contest directing. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, two years later, I got into Wind and Sea Surf Club. Nice. Yeah, Skip Fry signed my, my. you had to have a signature for, for one of the you guys. You had to vote in. You yeah, had to vote in. Because um, the names that you said of Wind and Sea, like, those are legendary, like, iconic names mm-hmm. that to be part of that club meant something. It was, yeah, I, I'm still a mem- member of Wind and Sea, you know, yeah. and, I, and I talked to him and I go, you guys let anybody in now, you know, you, you know, like, <laughs> Whatever, what are you doing? Like, it used to be like Hell's Angels, you know? Yeah. You had to be pretty gnarly to get in, yeah. you know? And it's not like that anymore, but I guess things change. But um, th- then I got, that's where I got my real start of uh, learning to organize contests because uh, the, the director, uh, Tor Svensson, was a really good organizer. And I organized the first um, San Diego uh, high school surfing championships. So all the all the high schools we didn't have surf PE or anything. Yeah. So it was that was the first thing that all where we really had like a a sport developing. Wow. And I you know I went on radio and television. I organized the whole thing you know and it was like it was pretty cool because I learned how to do it. You know and yeah. and um, so that that's really carried me all the way through. Were you a good student? Yeah. Yeah. What what was your forte like? What what kind of uh, what did you want? If to surfing yeah, wasn't in the picture, and you had to get a real grown up job. Well, you know what? When you're when you're young, and I don't know if there's everybody's experience, but my experience was, I had a really good English teacher, mm-hmm. and I had him in seventh grade, I had him in ninth grade, and I had him when I say seventh grade, tenth grade, and a senior, and it was just really a cool person you know so that one teacher that one teacher and and I, I was good you know good in math I was good in language was that was good. like your creative outlet yeah but I like to write you know mm. and my family uh, you know the used you know was a history of that so um, my dad took me up to Santa Barbara when I was about 14 or 15 he goes we went to campus point at UCSB there's a parking lot right over the this point break, and he goes, "Well, if you get good good enough grades, you can go here." Wow! And you had to have a B average, and you had to get <sighs> so twelve hundred on then. the SAT exam. So I think I got twelve hundred and ten, and had a three point three average or something like that. So I got to go, but you know, um, didn't work out. I'll go to college later, but um, yeah, I started as an English major. But. Nice. What What did you want to be? What was your aspiration? Well, I didn't know. 
<laughs> I wonder. I, I, I write I, for the mag, surf magazines. Go on well, trips. Well, you know what? I was uh, on the high school uh, uh, newspaper, you know, and I was a sports editor for the newspaper. I, I wanted to be a journalist. Thought writing travel. You get to kind of get, you know. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do, but maybe work for work. Surfer Magazine or Surfer yeah. Guide. No, not really. No. Nah. National so Geographic or something like that, cooler, yeah, really exotic. Like, yeah, I wanted to travel. Yeah, how did you get into shaping? How did you get into shaping? Yeah. So, like I said, I was in a wind and sea surf club, and uh, uh, Skip Fry went with the club. They they all went to Australia, and this was when we shortboards first came out. And Bob McTavish made one of the v-bottoms uh, called plastic fantastic machine and skip brought back one from from the trip to australia and i think they did a little bit of the south pacific and so everybody in the club got to try the board if they wanted to club board yeah. like this McTavish. exotic board bob mctavish yeah okay and it was uh, eight foot and we were riding nine foot nine six boards you know and the first time i i uh I rode the board. I stepped off the back because oh. you know, it was short. It was too short. But and it's this V bottom. It's harder than hell to ride. But you could go vertical. You know. Wow. And it was just like, wow. Was it a lot more sensitive? Like from yeah, it was. Rail? It was shortboarding. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you're you're like stand with your feet together and walk up the nose and walk back and you know the kind of boring stuff. You know. Yeah. And you could turn a little bit but you couldn't really turn and all of a sudden this board will go like that and wow. you you know you'd see nat young and you know he'd come over here and won the world championship on that board sam which wasn't a short board yet but it was lighter and it was different and he was surfing it like different you know and so um was that the 1966 like world championships mm -hmm. here yeah. in yeah oceanside Ocean Beach. Ocean Beach, yeah. And um, so you couldn't get one. And so sh Skip shaped one for one of the locals at, you know, my beach was probably, he was younger than me, but he was about the best, he was a, probably the best surfer at the time. And it's like Skip just took him under his wings. And so Skip made one, a copy of that, the McTavish, and Marty loaned me the board, and I, you couldn't get blanks anywhere. So... La Jolla surf, uh, surfboards, Bear Mirandin, sold me a blank, you know, and I shaped, I copied that one. I put it on a blank to trace around and shaped it with a sure form, and <laughs> I rode that one in the high school championships that, that I told you I'd organize, yeah. and I was the only shortboard in the whole, in the whole thing. I, I, did I ate win? it. No, <laughs> I lost my first heat, but I had a different. I I had a different, different gig. You know, yeah. I had a different thing. I had a different board, and, and nobody was making those. Yeah. Right? And the shops wouldn't make them because they had fifty boards, long boards. They had to get rid of. So you're talking. You're you made your first high performance, almost short board. Yeah, it Not was a, in those days. It was a short board. It was a. It was probably the second one made. Yeah. Skip but, brought the first but one. But not longboarding type surfing. Not longboarding. You're talking high performance. High performance Okay. Surfing. And you glassed there? You had a, like a shop or? No, I glassed. You glassed I took the, the I had a patio bench like seats and then you know, there had forked legs 
So I put one on top of the other one and turned to the other one. So I had two fork things like that and I set the blank on that. And uh, I paid my girlfriend's little brother 25 cents an hour to hold one side <laughs> while, I, while I shaped the other side with the sure form. Uh, and 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 uh, twenty five cents an hour. It was good money in those days. Yeah, you, know, hey, you could buy a gallon of gas. Bottle of soda pop, some candy, oh, sandwich. Was, yeah, he you was stoked. So this is the first board you ever shaped. The in first here. board I ever shaped, and so and you said sure form. Yeah, sure and form. that's explain what a sure form. Sure, is. sure form is like a file with uh, with you know, and and not a planer. No, not a planer. Not a machine. No, it's a hand. It was by hand. So you shape the, the whole hand thing, the whole thing by that, yeah. yeah. And a V bottom with the, you know, it's, it's complicated shape. Yeah. You know, I probably could do it right now, but and so how many hours? I don't remember. I don't remember. You know, four days. It at probably, least it probably took at least four. Yeah, yeah, four hours. Yeah. So that kid held for twenty. He made a dollar. He made a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> that was good money. <laughs> you know. But, it's called uh, child abuse, bro. <laughs> well, I was telling you about what they made me do mowing lawns, so yeah. I was, you know, just a little giving it back. But you know, he was out. You know, he was stoked. It wasn't that hard. Yeah, you know? yeah. But um, then the glassing thing came in. You know, so I I knew how to work with resin, but I I didn't have a squeegee, so I made a squeegee out of uh, cardboard. And I always loved purple, so I didn't go for a clear. Went for the hardest tint going i i did a purple tint uh, uh, nice <laughs> on your first board first board yeah and these guys squawk won't even someone won't even do colors now but we just went right for it but so i got this board and nobody had one and this guy had his brand new rick three stringer barry kanaya puni model brand new beautiful top of the line board you know and they wanted yours and he, he traded it wow. to me for that. Wow. For my Who board. is this? I don't know. Some kid that, you know, in the neighborhood, he couldn't get a short board. He wanted it. Wow. And so, so I took that board, sold it, <laughs> sold to Barry Kanayapuni. I wish I still had that one, too. Uh, and, and Barry Kanayapuni probably at that time was the biggest, was one of the biggest shapers. He was, he was one of the best surfers. Yeah. And I, when he, he lived in Pacific Beach with... Uh, he lived in California? He lived there yeah. for about six months at one of my friend's house, one of the guys, older guys in the club. And when he was surfing, I'd sit on the, on the cliff and watch him. Because he'd, he'd fall once in a while, but he never lost his board. We used to, he used to have this long black hair, he slicked back, and he used to laugh that he'd just lasso his board with his, with his hair. <laughs> but he never, you know, the way he'd fall, he'd fall and his foot would catch it, or he'd fall and his hand would catch it. And I learned all the kind of tricks that, so I could go surf rocks. And, Interesting. Yeah. Nah, no nah, leash. No leash, yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about all the things that you guys have seen and endured. Yeah. yeah. But the progression of, of like technology and innovation. Yeah. I mean, you were there pretty much not at the birth of surfboard building, but from longboards to shortboards yeah. to leashes to twin fins to thrusters. I got to, I got to, to see it all, man. Traction yeah. pads, like. And how quick the crazes like popped on, like the board you just shaped that they had, you know, you did one, you know, knockoff, and here you are getting traded 
a brand new berry board and then everybody <laughs> else you know did you go shape another one right away i took the money and went and bought some blanks yeah the they there was a floss foam um and the shop that select surf shop that i used to hang out at he got me you know in there and i got a bunch of rejects and this is a f cool plate part so i took him back i rented a skill plane from the the tool place in in pb tony channon had his shop in del mar and michael diffenderfer was shape was his shaper so it's channon diffenderfer so tony let me use diff's shaping room and his templates whoa you know, for my second, third, fourth, but, and, and my friend, he was going to shape his board, and I was going to shape my board, and he, I finished my board, and he was, his board was a mess. <laughs> so I finished his board, and he became my glasser, <laughs> and I was a shaper, so, and we, we made like, I don't know, we probably made 20 boards that summer. Wow. So did you start a brand or no? Yeah. Right away. Linden Surfboards. So that's yeah. that was the start of Linden Surfboards. Okay. 17. You're 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. And when you say you shaped them, did you sell them? Yeah, they were all custom who, who orders. Did you, oh, they're all custom orders. All custom orders. Wow. Just word of mouth. Yeah, because nobody, nobody was making shortboards. Nobody was making these boards. And were the other shapers... They were doing the traditional longboards. Were they like pissed or tripping? Would they see like was there? We didn't have much. Yeah, I took my first board down to Gordon and Smith, and I remember Larry Gordon going. And I showed him. I thought, oh man, I'm, look at this! What I made. I'm going to get a job. You know, I'm going to be a shaper. You know, and he took me. He goes, oh well, I, you know, I, I guess you could start sweeping up or something. I go. I'm a Are shaper. You kidding me, like, dude? Purple I'm shaping shit. boards. Yeah, I'm gonna shape. I've got 20 board orders. Yeah, I got board orders. Yeah. Know? So, so we started underground, and it was it was pretty cool. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. And you had your your buddy that was already on board as a glasser. Yeah. He was my surf buddy. He's goofy foot, so we used to split the peak. You know, like. Fin, fin templates like what did you do for fins did you have to buy those separate or have to make them yourself uh, too no they're boxes we had boxes by then okay yeah we had uh i don't forget what the name was but there was a there were Bo boxes so we're Dude. still talking single fin era single of course yeah, yeah. okay v-bottoms you know the big v-bottoms v-bottom like that yeah so is this terribly late 60s early 70s 67 68 okay and then uh, I find this really trippy because uh, we had a couple dudes that we interviewed. Uh, this guy, Scott Scarborough, who, who started In Flight in Seal Beach. Uh -huh. And we were talking about, you know, him growing up, late 60s, early 70s. And we're, we asked him about localism, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, dude, we didn't really see it. We didn't really feel it. I'm like, How? what are you talking about? And he goes, well, all the older dudes that were gnarly went away because of Vietnam. Yeah. So I was like, what? Like, like mass there's exodus, a point in time, yeah. like all those, you know, you know, cause localism is a thing and it was gnarly back then. And when I think the seventies, that could have been way more gnarlier than what we have ever experienced. Yeah. 
but then to think back that wow at one point in time there was there that didn't exist really because it was just young surfers in the lineup there was a gap uh it didn't happen in my area it was no. always crowded well, the, the the premier wave in Pacific Beach was PB Point, yeah, and it was rocks, and no leashes, and the old guys taught the next generation how to police it, so there was no gap. But if you lost your board, and you were one of the crew, you'd just get rocks thrown at your board. <laughs> if you weren't one of the crew, you got a boulder. Wow. <laughs> Tough love, <laughs> tough love. Yeah, but even you, you got you got you, you target practice. You'd sit and throw rocks at whoever board came in. Yeah, you could. Happened to you? Yeah, you could. <laughs> Skip was the only one immune. You know, you mess with Skip. Yeah, you know, just out of respect. So you graduate. You go. You get accepted into Santa Barbara. Yeah, and then you're still trying to shape. Like, how? What's your relationship with your parents on like what you want to do with your life? Like, no, I just went in. I start school. You know, okay. I basically didn't didn't shape any anymore. You know, I'm just wanted to surf and, um, you know, go through school and, you know, I went. And they didn't have a journalism class, so I went into English and I didn't really like uh, the teachers or the the way. They, you know, they were like the guy with the little goatee that would, you know, read Shakespeare and pick Phoenix. up on, on the, on the yeah. young chicks, right? You know? And I wanted to write creative stuff that I thought, you know, that was like, you know, a, a, a weird look at what, what he'd give us a project and I would take like a, I wanted to write over this side about it, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I didn't really get along too well then, so I, and I, I, um, the the summer between that year and the next year, I did I did pretty, you know, did follow straight and narrow pretty much the, the first year. Um, the computer, this is a funny one. That the Santa Barbara was kind of like the uh, like Berkeley was the top, right? Yeah. And Santa Barbara was like the farm school for hmm. Berkeley, you know, like so. Um, Berkeley was like the school that everyone wanted to go to. Well, it was just like for, it, it for was, that. Well, like it was, you know, the hippie, Arts. hippie socialism, you know, all the whole the whole stuff that was going on was yeah. going on in Berkeley, which showcase in Berkeley. But they try it out in Santa Barbara. Yeah. So the first year, the Black Panthers and Angela Davis came down and took over. The computer hall. You can imagine instead of a computer like that, it was a whole hall was the computer. So crazy. And the Black Santa Panthers. Santa Barbara? Or? Yeah, Santa Barbara. The Black Panthers came and I got to see Angela Davis and Bobby Seale and all the big fros and yeah. leather jackets. It was so cool, man. Well, that, was a, that was awesome. <laughs> Wild times. Wild, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I went to Australia that summer. And because uh, you know, they had a wind and sea surf club in Australia, so those guys hosted me, and um, that must have been amazing. It was really insane. Anybody's come with you, or is this like I solo, went by myself, solo trip? But I got met met by the you know guys in my club, uh, Paul Nielsen, Ricky Nielsen, picked me up at the airport and took me home and to and their what home. part of Australia was Queensland? This? Queensland. So you're in the tropics. 
semi-tropical. I wanted, I wanted to go surf Noosa. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, I met Greg Clough, who started Aloha, mm -hmm. but he wasn't shaping at the time. But he was going to go up to Caloundra, which is next to, to Noosa, and um, he took over Bob McTavish's old... Uh, factory? It wasn't a factory, it was like a barn, but that Bob McTavish made cord surfboards there. And so, you know, I just hung out this, you know, they started making boards and... So did you go to work? Did you go end up shaping while you were over there? I didn't shape. You just watched and I, kind of I checked made, out their... I made fins. I laid up uh, fin sheets. And but you're around there. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, absorbing. Uh, one, one night, um, Noosa was breaking. That's supposed to be eight foot the next day. And uh, John Witzig was a rider. Wayne Lynch was a surfer. He was about 16 at the time. And Bob McTavish came up. And I got to watch Bob McTavish shape Wayne Lynch... Wow. aboard wow that night so the waves were pumping other <coughs> high caliber surfers are coming into town yeah and you these, knew all these people i like, did then after yeah. that right i mean but you saw them in the magazines and stuff no well, the first you know i copied that first board that bob mccallie yeah. said so we get to watch him man it was a, it was yeah and wayne, wayne lynch was the best surfer in the world say. at that time yeah know? he was he was the young upstart yeah. of of the day right yeah like the the surfing that you're talking about that you wanted to do, he was doing it after Nat Young and he, vertical. Yeah, and, yeah he was and he was more progressive. progressive than Nat Young. Yeah. What what we heard from a couple of uh, older surfers that kneeboarding was really a, a progressive shift in surfing too. Like well, the way they approach the waves and the way their boards fit. and like well, that, that was part of the whole pack. George yeah. Greeno from Santa Barbara went over there, and he was kneeboarding, and, and he was working with McTavish on designing the fins and, you know, going from a, a D fin to a flex fin and, um, you know, all that all that stuff. There, that was a – because he was – Greeno's thing was getting barreled, and he could get barreled on his knees, you know, yeah. and, do, and go fast. You know, yeah, yeah, but the the way those boards, you know, were so much smaller and and wider, you know, the yeah. way they fit in the wave, like, yeah. er, you know, who, most surfers were looking at that like, well, who was like, telling us? I forget who was told us that it was the first time they saw somebody like go bottom turn and hit the lip, bottom turn hit the lip was a kneeboarder. Probably, and I'm like, what? Like what? Probably. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's one of the you know. Glad I didn't do it. I didn't wreck your knees. Oh. Man. <laughs> yeah, half man. <laughs> no, it just it just looks brutal. But so, at what? Yeah, what point? What you know? What year was it? Those, those boards, you know, started going from the seven foot down into the sixes and like, well, right off the bat, really quick, right? From the, like the second batch of boards I did, I went instead of were seven foot, and then the third batch was six five. Wow. So we just kept going smaller. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that that's kind of where, you know, like surfing kind of took, you know, this evolution of like, yeah. let's, why not two fins, you know? And that, I think that came from, from uh, kneeboards too. I don't know. Twin fins were a lot later. Really? Yeah. I mean, there might've been some of them, but yeah. I started making them here uh, about, a 79 80 something like that 
the late 70s. Yeah. So college didn't work out the first time, right? And you went to Australia. I went to Australia for the first year. I, I did the first quarter, or first, first year, went to Australia for three months, came back. The third got through two. I, I switched to religious studies as my major. Um, and the last quarter, the third quarter of the year, uh, we I went surfing El Cap, and I drove back to Isla Vista where I was living. And the Bank of America was burning. Police cars were turned over in the road, burning. Wow! And, and in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And a student got killed, and a uh, uh, National Guard came in by the busloads, and the last quarter was all um, martial law. You couldn't be out after se seven at night, and you. Is this for the war protests, or? Yeah, it was for the war protests. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you heard about Kent State? Four Kent people State. got killed yeah. there. Well, yeah. Santa Barbara was the other place where student got killed, and so. Um, there was uh, so they uh, cut the school year short and everybody went home. No, we we the, but the classes were sus kind of suspended, mm -hmm. but you you still stayed there. And there was a guy that was a senior, and he'd been building surfboards in Isla in Isla Vista, and Golita, and he had a little factory there, and uh, you know, shape room and glass room, and so he. Uh, I think he rented it to me, and I just started making boards. That's why I started making boards again. And um, it was kind of weird, you know. I was number thirty-nine for the draft and the lottery system, so I was I was going to go, but I had a college deferment. But after living under martial law, and you know how how you are, you know, when you're a kid, you think you don't see the long game; you see just a short game. And I thought, well. I'm not, if, if the world only has five more years left, I'm not spending it in this school, in prison. I'm going to go out and see the world, you know. I'm going to get out of here, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I quit after that semester, you know. And uh, my mom said to me, well, you don't want to get your education in school. You're going to go get your education in the world. Wow. So, that's kind of not what you expect from I, your parents. You know, the luckiest guy al alive yeah. had the best par parents you could possibly. Just supported me. They all, you know, they believed in me, gave me a safety net so I could jump off a cliff and knew I was gonna wasn't gonna hit the rocks in the bottom. You know, yeah. and and just they wanted me to, you know, be able to do the things that they didn't have a chance to do. So and what what does thirty nine mean in the in the draft? Like thirty nine. Well, that was a the lottery. Uh, so they they pulled a number. Like if you you know his was my, don't call thirty nine number thirty nine. One was the first to go. It was and three hundred sixty each day they called a different name. Three hundred sixty five. You got three hundred sixty five. You probably weren't going to go. So, so if you, you were thirty nine, you were going to go. Yeah, pretty close. You were going to go. So what you're saying is. You quit school, and you bolted. Didn't bolt. I got called up, so I went in for my physical. 
the night before my physical, I stayed up all night and I have allergies and asthma and I'm breathing pollens and cat hair and all the stuff I'm allergic to. <laughs> big I'm Wednesday bag, shit. You know? yeah. Yeah. We're in. talking Big Wednesday shit. I swollen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, unless <laughs> I went out, you know, partying, drinking beer and I was a mess. I barely got on the bus. We got up there uh, and, and so I get somehow they go you're one a you know so that was one a is you're you're physically fit and everything oh shit and in those days there were um uh doctors who were sympathetic with uh with not wanting to be in the war and since i but there were some that weren't and, and you had to have an asthma attack past the age of 18 <coughs> And I'd gone to a doctor that was, I did have an asthma attack after 18. They were totally legit. Yeah. But he was a colonel and he said, I'm not going to write you a letter. You're, you're going into the army, you know? I mean, get out of here. Yeah. So I, I went to another doctor that was sympathetic for me. He wrote me a letter that if you read it, you would wonder how I even got out of bed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I got a 4F, and which means you're, you're unfit for service. Uh, military service. And, you know, I've had asthma all my life, so yeah. it, was, it wasn't something that I probably would have done myself some harm, you know? I heard yeah. people getting out for having flat-footed, and yeah. you know, yeah. there's all kinds of weird yeah. ailments that, you but know, could get I didn't out. have to run, but... So I did get I get get out and then uh, and then I went through um, Mexico and Del Salvador. I, I got my papers, uh, residence papers, to go back to Australia. And I wanted to go down to Panama and get a steamer from Panama to Australia. But I did, wait, take a boat? Yeah. From Panama to Australia? Yeah. Crazy. How long of a? I don't know, but it was an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, sounds amazing. I, 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 when I was younger, I would if you gave me a bus ticket to wherever, I would have gone. Yeah. I didn't care, you know. <laughs> I just wanted to go. I just wanted to see the world, you know. And uh, I'd, I'd taken five quarters of Spanish for my college requirement, undergraduate requirement. And so, you know, three months, and I went with my best friend, and he didn't speak a word of of, of Spanish and you know so I had to you know bail them out oh I had to order I had to order the food get the tickets I had to do everything but the worst thing he's like you know real handsome guy and all the Mexican girls wanted to talk to him or dance with him so I had to be uh you know Translator. wingman for him in Spanish the whole time right <laughs> it was like you know that was pretty not, you know the international language but I learned to speak Spanish. Um, so you did do the steamer all the way to Australia? No, but okay. we got to El Salvador. And it, they just had a war in El Salvador with Guatemala or Honduras. And, you know, in the next country was Nicaragua. And it was like... Yeah, worse. Worse. Yeah. And we just went, you know what, let's, let's go back, you know. So, so we went back. How are the waves down there? You get some waves? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Then that's yeah. like way back in the day. Yeah. 
So at what point have you have you <laughs> seventy one? Yeah, at this age, but no one what? really has gone there yet. Well, we got to Oaxaca City. We, you know, we went Mexico City to Oaxaca, and we looked at the map, and we we're going to go. Okay, there's two places the bus would go. It went to Puerto Escondido, and it went to Puerto uh, Angelo. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 down Puerto Angelos, where all the points are down there, yeah, where Barra and all the points are. So the coast is just like that. And Puerto Escondido was just this beach. So we go, okay, we're going to go to Puerto. Uh, it's not Puerto Anta. It's 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 where all the points are. Yeah, right where Patuta is, right where you know, Navarra. just yeah. And um, so we took a bus through the mountains, one lane, dirt road, fourteen hours through the mountains with you know like like this with chickens and all this stuff to get to there. And we didn't have a car, so we get there and the cliffs are right there, right straight up and down. We had a lobster dinner, slept that night at a hotel, and went back the next day, and then went down south. So you, it's like that crazy. You you know, it could have been surfing the points just around the corner, but you didn't know because you yeah. had nowhere to, to or get anywhere. Puerto Escondido. Yeah. yeah. And we, we, we didn't know. We had there's no surf maps. No, we'd been there any of these places. So we just without a car, you couldn't explore. Just get on yeah. and hopefully end up where there's a wave. So we got to El Salvador, and rented a house right at Libertad where Puto Rocas is and Bob Rotherman had gone came later we didn't find Puto Rocas we found Sunsal which is a really good wave but Bob Rotherman went down in a, in a uh, VW bug and looked back from and saw the point and went down there and he's married a uh, Salvadorian and Still there, yeah, and, so and awesome. I'm always going. Thank God I never found that point. Yeah, you'd be there. I'd be there, <laughs> <laughs> and I had such a rich life by not being just there. You yeah. know? For sure. So, so at what point have you surfed any big waves at all? Like you're surfing California. You went to Hawaii with your family at a young age. At where, where? At what point did you? find this fascination Totos. for big waves and actually it was a, that place in El Salvador okay El, El Suzal is a reef break that like everybody goes it's a longboard wave but under certain under swells. 20 feet you know and it but it'll take any size wave it's like I, I people go what's it like I go it's Sunset Beach and they go ah you're kidding me it's a longboard wave you know yeah well Sunset Beach is a longboard wave too when you're Riding the point, yeah. But when it gets big, it's a different wave, and um, so you guys got it big and got it big, man. I got, I got, got it big, and I went out by myself, and you know. What are you riding? A board you shaped? Yeah, six four. Uh, a what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in in it, in the seventies? Yeah. And that's a the only board you brought four? with you. Because it's easy to travel with. the with. leash or no leash? No leash. We didn't what have leashes. Fuck? What kind? Of, wait, a six four single fin? Yeah. In the seventies? Yeah. With no leash? No leash. I didn't know that happened. So <laughs> that early. So so we paddled out. 
and my friend, um, well, can I tell all the story? Yeah, we're all ears. If you want to. No, I'm just leave some of it for my book. All right. Okay. Um, but we paddled out. My friend wouldn't even go out. You're riding a 6'4". Yeah. You shaped a 6'4". Yeah. Like, does that blow you away? No, there's... It blows me away that boards were that short, or he shaped the board that short way back in the day. That's what we were riding. Yeah. And so I paddled out. It was the biggest surf I've ever been in by far. How big was it? It was at least 20-foot faces. Which is big. It was big. Yeah, it yeah. was the first big wave I ever really... Especially like point break, you know, where the wave yeah. kind of holds size for a long time. So I paddled out. I catch my first one, so it wasn't the biggest set. And I rode it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. <laughs> Speed. Yeah. Exhilarating. You know, I, definitely, I didn't up, know this, this... Warm water. I didn't know this was possible, right? <laughs> yeah. These are, these are a bunch of spectators on the beach? No, they, I think there were a couple people. So it wasn't like this, you know, 50-year storm. It kind of gets like that. So nobody's like, yeah, no, whatever. but the waves were breaking over the pier in the, in the harbor. Mm. They were breaking up on the fish house. So it was, it was big. Yeah. And that, so I paddled out. I'm going to catch a big one, man. I'm going to go sit outside, you know, and catch a bigger one. And this huge wave came, and I just went, okay. Flipped it and went for it, and I just got pitched at the top. And it's a big playing field. I don't know if you've ever been to since all but there, there's a big reef that there's a long beach and then there's this big rock that comes out and I lost my board so I got to swim in hunt it find it go into the beach and the, the current's taking my board all the way down I run down the beach and the board's going out by the rock and I swim out and get my board and I was just like you know this is like pretty cool same yeah. thing happened to me at Makaha Point Surf years later but uh, it's kind of it's kind of funny, but that was fun. That's, Life on the edge. Yeah, that's crazy. I Nobody else out. That was my first big wave. I think I'm going to ride my last big wave there. Nice. What's this place called again? <coughs> Sunsal. Sunsal. Uh-huh. In El Salvador. It's all, that's okay. where they have the ISA uh, contest. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a left that there, That doesn't too? look... That, no. that wave no, looks like, right. like playful and lowers type. Well, that's what I say. They say it's a longboard wave, yeah. but not when it's not giant. Not when it's giant. It's the only place that really handles it. What time of year was this? Is picking up the summer it was in like April. hurricanes? It's, yeah, South Wales. South Wales. Yeah. Because hmm. you know a lot of Central America. Well, I shouldn't say this, but they get waves in the winter too. Yeah. Didn't hear that. Just yeah. but El Salvador faces south. Yeah. So, got a taste of the waves, big ones. So your shaping, did that become your, your job, your business, your career? Well, not, not really. I, you know, I just worked, you know, part, I was a janitor and, you know, to just save money. I, my parents, you know, as long as I was working, I didn't have to pay for anything. I just could save my money so I could go, they wanted me to go on trips. So I came back and, uh, couple months later I I went to France <laughs> and surprised you came back what's that 
surprised you came back. <laughs> well, this one's a long story. I don't know. They're going to be here all night. If yeah. you want me Save to some for your book, but yeah, no, we, 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 all, we enjoy this. Most of it's going to be in the book, but um, it'll be more fun to read, too, because I'll give you a more, a more spicy Details. Well, you know, France popped up in the magazines here and there. Like there was a big it, surf it, scene, it, it, and that's how you find these yeah, I saw places. That it came up, you yeah. know, at France. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to France. That looks cool. I mean, how else are you going to know? Oh, the France. Like who would go? It, it, it's kind of a known little there surf culture there. one surfer magazine article, yeah. and like I said, Surf Guide, back in the early days, they'd been to Europe. And yeah. so I'd read all about it, so I was interested. And I'd taken French in high school. So a little bit of this guy, Fran uh, Spanish, Fran Spanish, French. You got it. You yeah, got the well, natural language. The only way you're really ever going to uh, experience experience another culture is if you immerse yourself into it and you learn how to talk. Yeah. You know, you learn, you learn how to communicate. You get I can barely speak English. What are you talking about? I know. I'm getting there <laughs> my way myself. But... Um, no, it's true though. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so I went. I went to France, and uh, I took a board I'd shaped. It was actually uh, two plus one. Really? Yeah. And how big was the board? Oh, what think style? It was six. The round tail, and I think it was a six eight or something like that. But I got over there, and the waves are powerful. And, and uh, I got there in, in fall, so the swells were just starting to hit. And there was one surfboard factory, Barlon Surfboards. And just by chance, Michael Diffendurfer was shaping there. Wow. And growing up in San Diego, Diff was the man, you know. Yeah. That was. And you guys had a relationship prior? No. Mm -mm. Wow. I'd use the shaping room. Yeah, I was just gonna say. <laughs> and, but but I, I went in and I and I, I I need to get another board. You know, I need to get another board. So I went there and ordered a board. And I asked Diff if I could watch, and he goes, "Go sit over in the corner." And he, he knew I'd come from PB and everything, and you know, he says, "Sit, go and sit in the corner, and you know, don't talk to me or anything." <laughs> um. And uh, he made wood boards. You know, wow. That was his specialty. And I, and watching him, so he'd just come from South Africa at Surfing Jeffrey's Bay. Mm. He's shaping two boards a day, 25 bucks a board, which Killing is a it. lot of money. He's got an orange Porsche. Wow. Right? So he's going around the world. Just dropping anchor and shaping a bunch of boards and then going I'm to the going, next one. I'm going to be a shaper here. Yeah. I'm going to shape. This is what I want to do. Yeah. It, it right falls there. in line with what you wanted to do. So you yeah. saw what he was doing. It's like, I want to be that guy. Yeah. I want okay. to be that guy. And the blanks were like blocks of foam. You know, the guy made his own foam and everything. So there wasn't. So Diff, had, Diff was an artist. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a production shaper. Yeah. He didn't take the rock well close his eyes and skin the tops he he drew out the rocker on the on the blank Side. so he could cut all this block of foam into to a to a board and he just approached it it was like watching a, a, a sculptor and that appealed to my creative sense too because I you know I I never wanted to be a carpenter or, you know, do something repetitive just to make money. You know, I wanted to 
I wanted to sh- I wanted to shape so I could surf better, so yeah. I could surf how I wanted to do to do it. I'm a, I'm a surfer, shaper. Yeah. Not a shaper. You know, I'm a surfer. Yeah. If I didn't surf, I wouldn't shape. But um, so I watched him, and he made me the best all-around board I ever had. Wow. I had one board. It was seven foot. And uh, we're still talking single fin. See, yeah, single yeah. fin. There weren't any. There wasn't any any different fins at those. You know, it was one fin. But um, I could ride anything. And uh, I remember one one day there was there's three breaks. There's a little reef break, La Fetania. That's a, like a little reef break. And then there's Guttery, which is more like Sunset Beach. And then there was La Bar, which was like uh, a big left. And we served La Fetania in the morning. We started with a bottle of cheap wine. We served La Fetania, got a bottle of cheap wine, drank a little bit, served Gittery, drank a little bit, went to La Bar, and it was just getting bigger all day long. And La Bar was the, it was like, it was like wind and sea. It was a place where if you were a surfer, you went and surfed La Bar, you know? And so everybody was there. And we paddled out, me and my buddy, and me and my buddy were, he was from Santa Barbara too, and we, he was from Santa Cruz, and we were probably, you know, we were the, we were probably the best surfers at, there. Yeah. yeah, we talk about that all the time on like, when you're a good surfer, you, you kind of get the guard, you know, brought down the localism the or whatever. Mat. Yeah, mo- yeah, yeah, most people are pretty, you know, like, well, you're a foreigner, or hey, like, you know, yeah. but if you rip and you're a foreigner and you, you could kind of, it's, it helps a lot. To Mickey, fit in. Mickey Dora was there at the time. No what? way. Yeah, so where I was living, I was living at Gittery. So they, they're used to seeing so, celebrity so I got to hang out with Mickey Dora. Wow. Every morning we go check out the surf, and you know I'd, I'd surf with him and a bunch of stuff. But anyway. Was he cool to you? Yeah, we are buds. That's so. Yeah. Because yeah, he's infamous for being a jerk, right? Well, he was. He, that's that's a, that, that was his stick. Yeah. yeah. He. he He's a California soul surfer, man, you know? And we were California soul surfers. Yeah. We were the only ones there. Yeah. So he see, he see our game, you know, and he, he was loving our game. That's awesome. You know? Mickey Dora. How Dude. lucky. Here you are going to France. You got, you know, San Diego Shaper. You got Mickey Dora. You're here. The waves are pumping. Like, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. One day, <laughs> we... It was really big. You get, get to every place. We drove all around, and and uh, and my friend had a Mercedes, and so we had the boards down there, and he was driving, and he, his wife and I were sitting in the back. Since the boards were there, his wife sitting next to me. We pull up to the parking lot in Gittery, and Dora's there, and Dora's like, he's going, let's go out. And I'm going, there's nobody out. It's giant, stormy, blown out, no leash. I go, yeah, Mickey Dora wants me to go surf with him. You know, yeah. want somebody to go, I'm going to go. So we, we paddle out, and uh, Guttery's like sunset. You know, once we'll come this way, once we'll come that way, went different directions. They'll hit the reef different, different sections, and you really don't know where to sit when it's big There's like nobody that. Nobody else out. Nobody's out. And so, so I, I paddle out about 50 yards out past Dora, because I, I wanted to catch a big one, show him what I could do. And um, this set comes, and I just turn turtle, hold on with 
fall my like the board just right out of my oh, my like grab neither of us had gotten a wave and i surface and look in doris swimming too yeah and we both had to swim all the way in like a really long swim yeah but it was funny you know like you know yeah nowadays <laughs> like the leash is your lifeline you know for yeah. a lot of surfers that are going out yeah, there but, but you know back then it was like just, just, you're, just you're, you're like with mickey you know it's yeah. pretty good yeah you're like thinking oh shit i just lost my board in front of mickey dora and you're like oh shit mickey dora lost his board but he was way inside yeah. me <laughs> let's battle i got it right on the head it, it, but the way was so big it's still pulling out of his hands and brush it off straight yeah. back out yeah yeah but the other day we were drinking the wine we got to we got to La Bar, and me and my buddy were out. We were the last ones, and he goes in, and I'm the, by myself. And this, you could, from Chambord de Moor is like the south, and that's where the swell comes in. You can just see it coming in. There's big waves coming in. I'm going, yeah, this is mine. I catch a wave, beautiful left. Nobody is else out. Everybody's on the beach. I ride it all the way to the beach. I come in, and Diff's there watching me. He'd never seen me serve. Really? Yeah. So he, you got instant fucking credibility. Yeah. Yeah. So my buddy hands me the bottle of wine we haven't finished. I take a sip of it, give it to Diff. He can finish the bottle off. And, you know, I was like, yeah, man, I'm a surfer, yeah. you know. And a shaper now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that was a good time. So, so shaping, um, you come back to California eventually. Yeah, it was a long, it was a long journey. We're skipping over a lot. but Yeah. But um, you come home, set up shop. More or less. Yeah. I, I t like the the buzz comes back. Like you come home and people know. Like wasn't like that. No. Yeah. The word didn't travel. Well, I, I, I traveled. Uh, I went to two months in France, a month in Portugal. No, nobody surfed in Portugal. Yeah. Wow, a month surfing Portugal, and now Portugal is like yeah, the, the, the big surf scene. I went to the Canary Islands another month in Canary Islands, and then I got a thirty-foot sailboat and sailed to Brazil from there. Dude, I can't wait to read your book. Yeah, this I is just, you know, like we're just getting snippets, you guys. This and Brazil was probably in in the infancy of surfing. Yeah, I was I was the first foreign shaper to go there. You were the first foreign shaper to go to Brazil. And, yeah. Wow. And so I shaped, you know, some boards and then came back home after six months, met my wife. I, was a, I became a bartender. I was a, got a job dishwasher and became a bartender, met my wife, got married, sailed around the Caribbean, then flew to Brazil. And then that's when my shaping career actually started. So I started shaping again in Brazil and doing production work. Wow. Like four and five boards a day, yeah. So did you move to Brazil and yeah. live? Okay. Yeah, lived there for two years. And so that's where I really got, I became a shaper because I never worked for anybody. I just did custom boards and stuff. But then when I got down there. What a trip. So there wasn't, yeah. there what, you just, you knew how beautiful and killer it was down there and you knew they needed boards. What was the was your wife what? from there? No, she's from here. She's if from I was, here. if she'd have been from there, you wouldn't know me. But like the setup shop here in you know San Diego, there's a lot of competition. Was that like an appeal to go to Brazil or just? No, no, no. When, when I went down there, you know where they have the CT contest, Sacorema? Yeah. Well, I found that in 1972. Wow. And lived there for six months, and surfed it all by myself. With and no 
surf, there's no that during the week there was nobody but my, my Brazilian friend that I met and I were the only we were the first surfers to actually live there it was just like a beach guys from Rio would come out on the weekends and so there'd be some people in the weekends but during the week there was nobody so but there was Brazil, a demand Brazil was your first foray into like having a surfboard business I, I worked for somebody else okay but but I did I did shape 20 boards a week every week who what was the label it was um J J L. and i'd gotten down there the second time i, I go you know what I, i'm gonna i love this place i want to live here you know this is this is i don't need anything else it, the, you didn't need a car it's got big waves got barrels it's got beach breaks got you just walk to the beach and yeah, it had tubes, it had everything, with with hardly any surfers too. No surfers. Yeah, but there and was the, a demand for surf. Like, and there was a demand for surfboards, and the industry wasn't as competitive as it was up here. I go, yeah. I could, I could start my business, have a real business here, and you know, make a living at it. And so, uh, I got down there, and it was a little, little slow, you know, and a wife, and you know, not much money, and all that, and. Uh, when I'd been the first time, I'd gone up to Bahia just to see it, you know. I was real most of the time, and there was a burgeoning little surfboard shop up there. A guy made his own foam and everything, and I shaped two boards for him. And he moved, in the two years I was up here, he'd moved uh, to Rio, sold everything he had, and started a surfboard business. Killing it. And he had the first surf shop in um, Ipanema, in, in Rio de Janeiro. And his son was a shaper. And his son caught, was in a shaping room and it caught fire and he died. Oh, what? Dang. Yeah, it was pretty, it's pretty, it was a really emotional thing. And uh, I went in and I go, you know, went with my dad. My dad was down there visiting me, just, you know, he came down to visit, and I think that helped, but I went in there and I told him, yeah, I'll, I'll, sh I'll shape, I'll shape the boards, and so I got a job. Wow. Because the family, they would have, their whole life was invested in it. Yeah. And they need somebody to shape. I needed a job, so. Uh, Good timing, I mean, bad timing, but like, to have that happen while you're there, yeah. and here you are looking for work, you're doing somebody else a solid, you so know? you moved from Sacramento to Ipanema? No. <laughs> I wouldn't move into town. So, so I got the bus at 5.30 every morning, uh, rode into town three hours. Shaped, three freaking hours? At two bus and a bus change. From Sacramento to Ipanema? And you had to go, you had to change buses and then take the bus across the bridge and then walk to up. It was in the, you know, the manufacturing part of the, the city, which is kind of a rough part of town. We, we had a converted a house and- Why do you fit in just perfect there? You know, and I shaped four or five boards a day. And then Wait, I- Did you have to go every day? I went four days a week. I told him, I go, I'll do four days a week well, I won't live here. No yeah. way. I didn't come here to live in city, you know. And uh, and I get home at about seven, seven thirty. So, 
why did you choose to work for that guy and not stay with the JL guy? That was a JL guy. Oh, it was. Oh, he moved everything over there. Yeah, yeah. He had the shop in Ipanema, but the factory was in uh, Bon Successo. Okay. Yeah. Whew. Factory was a house that we converted in a factory. Yeah. And uh, a native Brazilian guy was a glasser, and little black guy was a sander polisher. The three of us we made twenty boards a week. Crazy. That's a lot like back then. Hand yeah. and all, yeah. And how many shops do you guys distribute to? We just made for his shop. That's it. And, just his and, one. Sh- and then I don't know how I didn't know what the business was like with it with I'm sure they sent boards out. Did he have any at, like writers? Like there was there anybody no, like at the point now? It like, wasn't like that then. No. It was nobody like No. Uh-uh. We made the boards, people wanted the boards. Yeah. yeah. It's, crazy. it's crazy like you were there for the beginning of Brazil. Yeah, the beginning stages of surfing in Brazil. Yeah. So how long, you were there for how long? Two years. Two years, and then and then moved to California. Well, then I went to Ecuador. Uh, my my wife became pregnant during Carnival. Go figure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Party. <laughs> oops. No, we're, uh, not oops. <laughs> so, you know, long story, but but we ended up going to Ecuador because I wanted to shape. I want to get some. I went to Peru and I wanted to get some balsa wood. So I figured I'm going back. I'm gonna have a kid. I don't have a job, and I always wanted to shape a balsa wood board. And I couldn't find any in Brazil, so my wife says, "Okay." And I got there, and this guy from Ecuador was down trying to get a Peruvian guy to come shape. And I walked in to buy my first leash from this guy, and. Some of the guys that had been in Brazil and seen me shaping go, no, 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 here comes the machine. You don't want to get this guy up, you know, ask him, you know. It's one o'clock in the afternoon, the Peruvian guy was still in bed because Peruvians stay out late, you know, and uh, <laughs> uh, they don't work too much. And so we went up to Ecuador and he goes, will you stay and shape 100 boards? What? And I go. That's crazy. My wife's six months pregnant. I could do four day times how many weeks? No, yeah. No. And, and I go. <laughs> well, first I went out and Diffid taught me how to. The boards were all stacked in a truck, and I couldn't take them out and lift them. But Diff taught me how to stick your fingernail in the end grain, so if it went in, it was soft and light. If it didn't go in, it was hard and not good for a board. And I'm just going boop, 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 boop. Oh, oh my God. You know, this is they're this is what good. I've been looking for. My they're, they're all shapeable. They're all good. Okay. And I go, yeah, I'll stay, but you got to talk my wife into having the baby here. Oh my gosh. And I, you know, and I'm going, good, she, luck. good luck on that one. And uh, I don't know, he did. So and you're shaping balsa yeah, wood. Yeah, I did three or four balsa wood boards a day, hand shape. And how? That's a lot harder to shape than. Yeah, that's why I can shape wood boards. You know. But how the time to shape a foam board versus a wood board? Yeah, is what's the time difference? Quadruple. Well, in those days, you know, I was young. You know, I was in my twenties, and I was unstoppable. You know. <laughs> what's the difference, though? Well, I got I got through four or five foam boards, and I got through three or four wood boards. That, so you pretty know? close. Dude. So hard. I, the hard part was cutting them out with a saw. 
handsaw because the wood's harder to do than foam. Because you can't mow wood. Yeah, you can. You have you to. Could. You have to. With the planer. You have to. Okay. Yeah, you're not sanding. No, you're not sanding. You're you got to cut it. Yeah. You yeah. got to use a blade. So all that practice using a planer, I, got, I was pretty good. And the reason I give you all this prep, because when I came back to California, I'd have, I had 10 years of shaping under my belt. Yeah. Nobody knew who I was or shaping or anything, but I had 10 years of experience and I knew I could shape as good as probably anybody, anybody around, yeah. you know? I mean, I wasn't so, the best, but... So how many years in, in, in Ecuador? I spent seven months in Ecuador. Okay. But I came back here and I was shaping in my garage and the guy from Brewer Skateboards was going to start a factory up in Oceanside, the one where I was. And uh, and my neighbor, in the house where I was living in Claremont, the kid that rode for me, he was a pro skater, and he started dating the, my neighbor. And she goes, oh, do you know Gary Linden? He lives right across. No, I know Gary Linden, and they were looking for someone to set up this factory for Brewer Surfboards here in Oceanside. Dick Brewer. Yeah, Dick Brewer Surfboards. And so Bobby was sponsored by Brewer Skateboards. He goes, yeah, I got this guy. And they, and they go, well, we want you to manage the factory up there. And well, unless I get to shape, I'm not going to do it. You know, and I had Al Chapman... Sam Hawk, Joe Blair, Ricky Rasmussen, and all these guys are all big name shapers, you know, and uh, that were shaping for Brewer. Shaping for Brewer. Yeah, I had to manage those guys and learned how to do the Brewer shape, and you know, and they were. I just, I just told them I wouldn't do it, you know, unless I got to shape. And they were, well, yeah, I think we'll give them a couple boards, you know. Yeah. But that's not what I wanted then. Brewer came over and he'd be in the room next to me and he'd shape two boards and I'd shape four, five, something like that. And so <laughs> kind of got the you. job, you yeah. know. <laughs> Plus I managed the factory and Bill bought all my boards. So Hobie Surf, Hobie Oceanside became Surf Ride and now that's where we are. Yeah. <laughs> full circle. Yeah, full circle. Yeah, but I mean, to earn Dick Brewer's respect, you know, because of like, you know, he didn't know who you were. You weren't like one of these other no. like shapers, that, you know, that were already established. And, no. you know, you got to earn your keep, you know. Yeah. And, and the names that you just said. Rick Rasmussen. Yeah. He, he'd come in once in a while. And he shaped boards, too. Yeah, it was good. He's from the East Coast, right? New York. Yeah. Really great surfer. Yeah. Good, good shaper, too. Sam Hawk. Sam, Sam Hawk. Yeah. Sam, Joe Blair was the best. Joe's still here. Joe was Joe a Blair. Joe taught me. Joe was the most consistent, but Sam made the best boards. Wow. He didn't make all the, not all of them, you know, like Joe would do sevens and eights all day long, six, seven, eights, always, yeah. you know, really good boards. Sam would do a five and, a, you know, and then do a 10, you know. Hmm. Was was the industry like strong, like popular, yeah. robust? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was good. Okay. We did a lot of boards, and I'm sure Dick Brewer, you know, being like that big wave kind of shaper too. You know, like you were able to kind of like 
work in a bunch of different yeah. shapes, yeah. like yeah. learn learn different. Well, to me, big wave surfing was always, you know, catching the biggest wave that came in. Yeah. If it was two foot, you know, Oceanside Boulevard, I was going to sit out and wait for a four foot one. You know, and that, if that was the only wave I caught, that was the only wave I caught. So big wave to, to me has always been like a philosophy more, more than just the size of the wave, which is catch the biggest wave that's coming in. That's be a big wave surfer. And working with Dick Brewer was a tremendous experience for me. Yeah, because yeah, he was the guru of, of like... Until, until he died. And, um, like, I'd make him a four-fin. And he surfed. He was a surfer, too, you know. So I'd make him a shortboard. You know, I, I took the brewer shape and put it onto a twin-fin. And David Barr and then all, all we won almost every contest in California with twin-fins. Because I, I used a boxy rail with a flat deck. And everybody else was making Hawaiian boards that didn't work in the beach breaks, you know. Yeah. Foiled and everything. So, so Dick was pretty pretty excited about what I was doing hmm. and you know we'd sit and talk and you know come to the conclusion that what made a shortboard work is the same thing make a big wave board work so my first time surfing Waimea he loaned me his personal board single fan you know and you know it's gonna work it was a Cadillac now it's <laughs> such a sweet one you know if so if a shaper's gonna if you can get a shaper's board one he made for himself or, you know, it's going to be probably better than what you're going to yeah. get. But especially for Waimea, you know. He's so how long did you no run? No leashes to Waimea. No. How long did you run the Brewer factory? Uh, we opened in uh, January 1978, January 1st. And I made exclusively Brewers till about... 81 and Dave Barr started riding for me and it might have been 80 but Dave Barr started riding for me and we made brewers for him but then I wanted to have credit for my work so I made a shapers logo so I made shaped by Gary Linden under the brewer label under the brewer label and did you tell him you were going to do that or no well by that time, by that time, we ended up owning owning the Brewer label, you know. At that time, you already bought. You we, bought we it. Bought it. Okay. I took on a partner, Steve Morgan, and we bought it. And it, you know, I owned one, and somebody else owned Brewer. So you know, it's just like he wasn't very tight with his business, and he didn't. He wasn't happy about it. He he wanted to have everybody like under him, but from day one. That's not the game I wanted to play with him, you know? Like, I was a nobody, but I go and look at his boards and go, yeah, this rail's thicker than the other one. Or, yeah, you got a little dip down it. Or, you know, I just, yeah. I treated him like I was an equal. Yeah. You know, we're both working, yeah. you know? And yeah. it, it, and so he he didn't like it, but he respected me. Yeah, you, you know? knew you're, you're, you weren't there to just you know kiss his butt yeah. like you were there to like build better boards and you were confident board. in yourself and you knew that you were going to be bigger than what you i didn't know that but my goal i always wanted i told my wife when she married i was i'm going to be the best shaper in the world 
That was my goal. And, you know, I, I, I was driven. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted, I, that's what I wanted to do, and I knew you had to work. It's like I never had a lot of talent at anything. I just had to work. I always had to work. Yeah. Yeah. But that hard work turned into talent. And yeah, yeah into, that's what it turns into. Yeah. But it's not I'm like, I yeah. didn't, oh, yeah, I pick up a plane or I could pick up a surfboard and well, I even, could serve, yeah. you know. Even if you have the talent, you still can't cut corners to really understand, like, no. the, the, the way so, something works. So you, you and your partner bought Brewer, you own the label, and you started putting your own name on those boards. Yeah, I, I, I made a Shapers label, label and... In those days, uh, Rusty and I used to judge, you know, the judge contest. Yeah. And we were buddies and he was, you know, getting going too. And I go, Rusty, guess what I did? Because he was shaping for Canyon at that time. I go, I made a Shapers logo. And he goes, wow, that's cool. The next contest, there was an R on the Canyon, (laughs) on the Canyon surfboard. You started a trend, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. Crazy. Yeah. Before he used to just sign it in pencil and he got to do it. But but we're, we're getting into the 80s now. Yeah, but but Brewer, I think, you know, I don't think anybody's going to respect you if you don't respect yourself. Yeah. You know, and you, 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 you just got to, you know, go what, sink or swim, you know. Yeah. You laugh yeah, at gonna, me, throw me out the door, but I'm going to go. Yeah, you might butt heads and rub elbows at first, but then, you know, eventually that's, yeah, that mutual respect's going to come. Yeah, and come you know, through. he kind of didn't think you were loyal unless you did that, but... I'm making Brewer surfboards again for the family now, the legacy line, you know, just because I want to preserve the, the legacy. Cool. Yeah, awesome. I love the guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That's so, how it should be. So eventually, you're, we're getting in the 80s. You, you start picking up riders, making, getting your board. name, Gary Linden, on the boards and getting high-performance surfing, like, David Barr, yeah, Paul Barr too. Yeah, David Barr, Paul Barr, Chewy Rayna, Brad Gerlach, Michael Lambrizzi, Todd Holland, Danny Smith, Joey Baldwin. All so the, when did it become Linden Byron Surfboards? Right then, okay. like right about the, the shops started going. Everybody's winning these contests, and the, and the shops are going. Well, can you just send me a Linden? I don't want a Brewer. Wow. So I started making the Lindens, and my partner Steve Morgan he kept making the Brewers awesome yeah so we did both having your cake and eat it too yeah and then i just i the i i was in that factory till three years ago holy shit since 81 78 78. 43 years in that thing and they bought the building and and (coughs) built apartments and i was kind of bummed but i was so happy i was thought i was going to die in that place you know (laughs) Part of history, just yeah. So how that how, how did it come about when you finally said, "Look, I got these freaking gnarly surfers riding for me. They're on my boards. I'm just gonna call myself call these boards Linden Surfboards." Yeah, I think it was I think it was '83, probably, but '80 between '80, like I'm right. That's my, a big milestone in your career. Yeah. yeah. I, I the the 80s are kind of foggy for me because it would just like all of a sudden you know I'm just working and all of a sudden everybody wants my boards and I'm famous and it's just going 90 miles an hour and I just can't remember all the 
yeah. details. You know what year it was and yeah. stuff. Yeah, because the 80s for... I love the 80s because that's kind of where I grew up watching Gerlach, David Barr, Chewy Reyna, all these dudes that rode your boards. And, you know, the boards back then was, was Linden surfboards, Shroff, uh... Who else? Stussy, even like during that They're a time. A little later, those guys are a little. Yeah, a little later. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there was a little pocket old Hurley had you know the IPG yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they're younger, but you know, Rusty, uh, Ch Challen Lyons, and and Linden were the top labels. In the, yeah, in the, everybody was emerging at that time. Surfing was blowing up. Yeah, the Trifin was just coming into play. There's Tom Curran. Yeah. I mean, you got, you know, again, all the surfers you just mentioned, but, like, the surf scene was going crazy. It was really cool. Yeah. And like you said, 90 miles an hour for that, like, old Yeah, old and I was decade. going to Japan and shaping two or three times a year. I was going to Brazil to shape. And, you, you know, you didn't have machines where you could license somebody to make your boards. So, yeah. you know, if you wanted to get your boards internationally, you had to go there and shape. Yeah. By yourself. By yourself. Yeah. And build a shaping room sometimes, you know. Wow. Show up and where am I going to shape? Oh, over there. You know, there's no lights, there's no racks, there's no nothing. I throw together a shaping room. So, you're you're also known. Sorry to go off a different tangent, but you're known for big wave surfing, right? What? When did you discover first go to Totos? Because that's kind of where you made that's your name. like home big wit you know yeah I, I think i went in 80 i went 85 in a on a boat trip and and it you know was small and um but i think the first time we actually went with with ed and jolene and and mark mcginnis i think Mark was on that. He's probably gone He's by now. Practice. Yeah, but uh, we took a boat. All, uh, a bunch of guys from Oceanside. We went down there, and another guy had a camp out there. Uh, they did tours, so you go down one day, and then you surf the afternoon, have dinner, wake up the next day, surf all day, have, you know, spend the night, and you slept in the lighthouse, and then the next day, <laughs> you, you so you surfed three days. Get dropped off and yeah and and uh you know it was just i would think that was 89 and you know, i just got the bug because people don't really know it but or it's not known it's known for a big way but it breaks anytime there's northwest swell so we didn't have any forecasting so we'd take uh three boards if we had them you know yeah small one middle size and a bigger one and then surf the whatever surf whatever we got and it was just just the whole experience you know i love the island it just being out there and i don't care what size it is i just it was just a getaway you know it, and it's still there it's it's still a getaway and and you know as i got more proficient you know i've been surfing hawaii a lot you know before then and I had a, a surf shop in Hawaii with a partner for, for a while. And I used to go, I'd surf Sunset. Like, that was my favorite break. And, and we went out of business in the 
early 90s when the Japanese economy fell down and everything so we lost I lost everything I lost the shop everything and I I, I my, my friends going oh, when are you gonna come over and surf with me again I go well I don't know Harold you know and he goes you're surfing better ways with less people aren't you <laughs> go, yeah yeah you know I was surfing Toto so it just filled the bill you know got your your big way fixed and it's right here and nobody around nobody around got to learn how to do it got were comfortable you, with it were you taking you know were you keeping under wraps or were you taking other surfers out there that wanted to you know that knew well okay. I I got to be friends with the guy who was running the tours and if he couldn't go if I got six people to go with me cut the costs I got it free yeah. I got a free trip so I got I got to be a guide that's yeah that's good way to monetize it and so I so yeah I would call people and go you want to go and people would start calling me and go you want to go but it was small group yeah it was just so fun because the lighthouse keeper would cook for you you know so you'd you'd have fantastic fresh seafood and yeah you know you just like like I'd lost everything at that point like in the 90s I lost my shop I had my factory but I lost my shop in Hawaii. I'd licensed my clothing to a guy that racked up a bunch of bills in my name that I ended up having to pay. And, wow. And my secretary embezzled <laughs> from me. You know, so I go to, you know, so I just lost everything. So I went hero to zero, like, whoop, boom. And that was my salvation. You know, go to Toto's. salvation. It, it, just, it, it, it just mentally allowed me to uh, gather my resources and rebuild myself, you know, because my surfboard business fell apart. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty cool. Like, people asked me, would you change anything? And I would change not one drop because being able to reinvent myself and start my big wave tour, that's all it came about. You know, we're sitting out there at the lighthouse and bonfire and you know god you know what we're gonna have a contest out here right. you know let's each of us put a hundred bucks in and you know winner takes all you know and then it was let's each put a thousand bucks in winner takes all you know really we didn't pushing. do it yeah but it got the seeds going you know and then and then uh, then the rest is kind of history so but, when was your first uh big event um well it's kind of funny because uh I was on the board of directors for the ASP, and um, they commissioned me to organize an event, a CT event at Toto's, so 60 people, you know, women and men, and for 1997. Wow. And I got it all organized, had it all set up, all ready to go. And there was a, a marketing company that was going to merge with the ASP. It was called CSI. And in the winter meetings, the surfers, the board of directors, were going to um, ratify the contract. And the surfers decided they weren't going to ratify. And CSI was going to put, you know, fund the contest. So up to two weeks before the event was going to happen, you know, I was just calling... Australia every day going we're gonna go and and it got canceled so the ISA picked it up and we ran in 98 
the first so year. So you're later with a different organization? Yeah. Mm. And was it similar with like like invite only or was it was it a different format it was the isa world uh, big wave world championships and they took two surfers from each country each country and we went out for three weeks and we just waited in ensenada for a swell wow successful well kind of yeah taylor got the biggest wave you know one of the biggest waves ever with the first year was some of the biggest uh i think it was the biggest big wave contest since uh 1974 at Waimea. Wow. So that contest, your ISA contest, coincided with the, with the double XL Taylor Knox K2 big wave. Yeah, that was a separate, it was a big wave of awards that Bill, Bill Sharp uh, yeah. started. And Taylor uh, caught the biggest, biggest wave. But that was the contest that, that you was said? That was the contest. Yeah. Crazy. Thousand dollars a foot pretty good right yeah, pretty 55 good. 58 what was it so i think it was 52 52 yeah you got 50 grand yeah we talked to taylor you guys about that you should listen to podcasts i, I mean my hands were sweaty, sweaty listening to to it he's like i got obliterated i thought i was gonna die come in and all my boys are laughing at me and they said you get back out there he just did he just paddle past everybody and he just sat and he waited, and everybody got caught in on or got swung well, wide. And well, the well, the funny thing about it is that, you know, I'll 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 tell people, you know, like, you know, it's not every day you're going to catch a 50 foot wave. Yeah. And you don't know the dynamics of it, so it's very probable that you're going to try for one, and just get blown up. Yeah. And go well, no, I should have taken another paddle, or I should have been a little bit over the left, or something. So he just got blown up on the first one. He just got pitched at the top. Yeah. Right. And um, and one of the judges wouldn't even give him a one. What? <laughs> yeah, gave him a half a point. I go, dude, you go out there. Yeah. You 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 see if that wasn't worth a one. Yeah. And then he got the ten, but since the one judge wouldn't give him even a one, he didn't. Even, that was a semifinal. And he didn't get to the final. Wow. Didn't ever talk to that judge again. <laughs> but I did learn one thing. So when I started my tour, because that, that wave was on 26 magazine covers around the world. So if you're going to have a big wave event, and everybody thought he won the contest, right? Yeah. So that one wave should have been the, the winner. The winner, the right? On the case. So I went, the, the rules, are, and it remain to this day, the best waves doubled. So if you had a 10, you got, and a one, you had 21. Yeah. So you'd beat two sevens. Yeah. Right? Because two sevens is, it, it, it 14, 21, you go to the backup wave. Yeah. It's a 10. Yeah. You, you win, and, and, and you learn, you know, I mean, if you keep your eyes open, you can learn stuff, even when bad things happen, but. So um, did, have you surfed waves that big? I um I surfed yeah I've surfed a couple waves yeah. that big. You're comfortable. You were comfortable at one point in time in that stuff. Yeah. Jeez. I I got my biggest wave at Todos. Two days after the event '98, it came up again. And I'd been organizing a contest, sitting in the boat, hadn't been surfing, and uh, Mike Parsons, uh, Evan Slater, and uh, Dan Malloy 
we went out. I went a separate boat, but they went out, and it was, it was, it was bigger. Wow. I mean, it was, and uh, and they were just rotating. Like one of them might have been open. It was a lot meaner. It was like lower tide, and it was just, wasn't real makeable. And they were kind of, okay, you go on this one, and then I couldn't get in the rotation, you know, because they're better surfers than me, and I couldn't get in there, so I went sat outside and this bomb came in and I and and it was like and you're paddling in yeah we just, it's not toe surfing it's toe paddling surfing, in toe surfing and uh and and I had two choices I could have not paddled any farther and gotten mowed or try to paddle over it and I figured I would try to paddle over it and I got halfway up the face and it like totos if it hits a boil and then it'll cap at the top there was like an eight foot wave breaking on top of the wave that's breaking here you know it's like probably it's the biggest wave i've ever been close to mm. and i made it over i had to roll over through the top and i made it and it just mowed those guys they were there about 50 yards inside but um that's the biggest wave i've ever been i think that's a was a probably about a 60 foot wave it was it was huge now, do you do that in other big wave spots too? Yeah. Like, do you, you go to Mavericks and? Yeah, I surf, I've surfed Mavericks. I surfed, you know, Waimea, Makaha, Lanata Bay, Nelscott Reef, uh, and Dungeons. South Africa. Yeah, my second, one, one day, I used to run Big Wave Africa. And I got, you know, we'd stay there for three weeks and, and Red Bull sponsored everything, paid food, gas, house, awesome. everything. And, and our job was surf the best ways during the day and go to the nightclubs at night and be, you know, make a it's terrible life. I, yeah. Life of a pro surfer. Yeah. But, no, I'm, fi I'm 50, you know. I mean, like, Red, Red Bull. Yeah. But um, when I was 55, one day every, we, everybody towed. It was just too big, stormy and everything. And, and I towed. I just didn't like it that much. I got a couple ways and I went in and they stayed and towed. And I and I woke up, you know, I took a little nap, and I called my buddy, and he, he, uh, I go, I want to, I want to paddle. He goes, he goes, because dungeon, you got to go to the harbor, and you got a boat ride around on the point, and he picks me up, and I get out there, and it's like half an hour before the sun's gonna go down. And, That's scary. And I, and nobody was out anymore, but it had cleaned up. It was pretty big. And I, he dropped, there was a jet ski at the time, he dropped me off, and the first set came in, I was too far inside, just clean me up. Yeah, it just, just clunk, clunk, washed me all in. The guy, jet ski, goes, so you done? I go, no, no, no. Um, I want to I catch one, and I had 15 more minutes. Before dark. Before dark. And the next set came, and, and I caught the wave and rode it all, I rode it perfectly. It was the second biggest wave I've ever ridden. And Twiggy and all the rest of the guys are in the in the. In and the you're how old? What's that? I'm 55. At that time. Yeah, I got the biggest wave out of all those guys, and it was pretty cool. So, but I I rode Jaws at 65. Um, I paddled Nazare at 67. Dang. And I how just, big just got a good about you know. 30 foot face faces <laughs> and I just got a, a, a good wave at, at 74 at Toto's last week so wow look at you go yeah. young buck still 
crazy after all these years. I, I'm I'm still crazy. I had a little mild episode a couple years ago. I I was surfing Hunnels where in Big Island, and it's a bodyboard spot. It's where Tom Mori invented the bo boogie board. And uh, I got pitched. It was dry reef, and I fractured my saw and underwater for a while. And so I was pretty tra traumatized, and I I quit trying to surf totos, you know. Now, I, I went from being not scared of anything to being scared of everything, you know. And uh, so just last couple of weeks, I got a couple of bombs at Toto, so. Getting back on the Back horse. in. Yeah. And how old are you? 74. I was 74 Monday. And you're still charging <laughs> with asthma. ways of consequence. Yeah. You're fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm more calculated. Yeah. You know. Just love the rush and love the energy and. You don't know. I was just trying to make it sound good. I don't really know what it is. Yeah. Except for it's who I am. It's your comfort zone. No, but it's just who I am, you know? It's like, I love to run a contest. I love to shape a board. Yeah. I don't, but I love to catch a big wave. And if I stop doing that, Part of me is dead. Yeah. And uh, I want to go down without a fight. I, I think that's, 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 that's chapter one. This is it, you guys. I think this is going <laughs> to be. That was chapter one. This is, yeah. I know you guys have been patient. I, I didn't want to interrupt them, but I, I think, you know. I'm sorry. No, this is. No, this is fucking amazing. This is, this is only chapter one though. Yeah, like we <laughs> like really we, appreciate. We, we need to get more stories out of you. Yeah, but that was a good save, way to save end some for the book. One. But you know, we we would love to do a follow up and and kind of you know pick up where we left off because there's so much more you know what to I'd your love story. To do is have a copy of it and help me for the book. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah absolutely. we you, Yeah, you got it. Yeah, and um, so. Do you trip out like you're 74 years old, right? And you're still vibrant and you're still charging ways that I would never, ever fucking look at, <laughs> ever. Neither would you. And it's like you have guys like Brad Gerlach and Mike Parsons that you were talking about that are also, you know, gnarly crazy big wave surfers but here you are still doing it like you know like it's so weird and awesome and special to like it, it, who else is doing this um I think are there guys your age or well i don't know them. you know the only person i know that i've seen ride a big wave that that's you know jeff hackman and you know he i saw a picture of him at jaws in his 70s well, maybe he was 60 or something. But, yeah. I mean, he was one of the best surfers ever, you know, so yeah. a lot different league than I am. I don't know, yeah. you know. Um, You're leading the charge. I don't know. I don't know how to act around people my age. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to my high school, 50 year high school reunion, and I hadn't been with that many people my age. So I don't know what a person my age looks like or is supposed to look like. Or, you know, and I was. It was, That's me, Gary. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you look good. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you're, you're beach lifestyle and stuff, but just a normal guy that, you know, well, worked we, 30 years or 40 years in couch potato. And, ugh. you know, it's, 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 I, I'm usually like people I'm around if they're, if they're 50, they're old, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mo- most of the people I'm around are young. Well, we say and, surfing is the fountain of youth, for yeah, sure. But, but it, it's really it's really strange, you know. Now my body's starting to fall apart and stuff, and I go to the doctors and stuff a lot, and and I'm looking around the people there, and I'm just going, dude, I don't look like that. Yeah, yeah. So no, you look great. Thank you, but yeah. but I I don't know. Like yeah. Bill said, little guys. Yeah, it's 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 a bummer when you're young, but it's killer when you're old. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, see, you see the little dogs, man. They're the old ones. Yeah. Big dogs don't last too long, so. Well, um, it's been an honor, and this has been amazing. And before, like, I want to promote what you're doing right now. What what uh, projects or what you know? You said your books books coming out. When when is that? (laughs) When we've been working on it forever. I'm working with my daughter, and every time she gets a new job, she has to. She puts the book aside, but yeah. it's going to get done. You yeah. Know? Um, when I'm doing that, and I'm, I'm really, that's about, it's, it's more, of course, we're going to try and sell it and everything, but it's more, in my mind, it's more of just passing on my life to my, for my family. Yeah. So my grandson knows, knows who I was, what I did, and, you know, um, my dad was really proud of me, and and he because I, I took our name around the world, and yeah. and uh, I just want that to stay in the family. So, you know, I want him to know who I was. Yeah. You know? But um, are you still shaping too? Or yeah, I'm still shaping. Nice. So if somebody wants to get a board or yeah, just um, you know, I mostly just do custom boards. I don't work with many shops. Yeah. Because you know, now it's like a marketing game. Yeah used to be if you made a good product people come to you now you have to market it and then if they come to you you make a make a product yeah <laughs> you know, so it's a little different but they so, can find you on instagram and social yeah, instagram media is the best way yeah. yeah yeah at gary linden linden surfboards or gary linden okay. i got two accounts yeah and then um uh our mutual friend jake howard yeah uh you you just did a contest well, we, what did you do this now? Well, I came up with a new format for because the Big Wave Tour, I, I handed over to the WSL and it, and they um, weren't successful in, in, in keeping it going. So there's a need for uh, a Big Wave Tour again. I'd like to see a Big Wave World Champion so that's a sport. And um, I came up for with sure. a new format that I think is is pretty pretty cool. Um, the problem with Big Wave contest is it only allows it's one day and it only allows a certain amount of people which the number we had was 24 but now we uh we, we want to include the women and that's another 12 so that's 30. 10 hours of competition instead of seven hours of competition and in the winter there's not usually 10 hours of daylight yeah so and it's also no real democratic way to, to pick who's in in the earlier days, there was only like six guys that wanted to paddle out. Yeah. Now yeah, there's list of people because that. of the tour and all the thing, it's grown. Yeah. And so we, what we, uh, what I came up with was a um, video submission for a qualifying round. That's cool. 
So we can have a you, you submit one wave per round, and it, I can accommodate 2,000 people if they all want to enter. So you want to enter or you want to enter, just get your, get your it's spot specific. So the first event is Todos Santos. So you have to have, so last winter, submitted your, your clips, and then we judged them and picked the top eight, which will, top eight men, the top four women, which will go to the semifinals of men. I'm going to throw in four wild cards. So two heats of, of, of six and to a six-man final. And the women are uh, four plus two wild cards to a final. So I'll go two semis, women's final, men's final. So you got four heats. And I just went to Nazare, and I got another one in the works at Nazare. Damn. I have Todos as a guarantee. Waiting period starts January uh, to the end of February for the live. Kelly Slater just came down for the uh, awards down in Was it uh, called Gulf. Thrillers at Killers? Thriller at Killers. Thriller at Killers, nice. yes. Yeah. We have a website. Go, go check it out. I'm a boxing fan, so Thriller at Manila with uh, yeah. my man Ali, you know. Ali Bumbaye. <laughs> <laughs> So well, congrats. That sounds awesome. And it sounds like a great, you know, formula I'm, and format. You I'm going to get the tour up again. It's going to yeah. it's going to happen. I didn't want to do it. I was just going to be content with, you know, having my event at Todos Santos because I, it, you know, yeah. what I love. But I just got so much response. And they had a yeah. Bill uh, Sharp brought back the Big Wave Challenge and he had the at a Nazare and you know, Nathan Florence was there, and I invited him to be one of my wild cards, and he cool. was just all over it. and Frothing. Yeah. yeah. And, and I just realized how much this Exciting. generation now want to do it, you yeah. know? And well, they're doing it for the lot. I mean, any of those big wave surfers are doing it just like you. It's just do it. it's in yeah. me. It's my passion. Yeah. But anytime you could kind of get that camaraderie together and push each other and, and there as a sports system and... You guys can make some money and show it to the world. It's a it's a win win win. Yeah, but just a chance to showcase what they can do. You know, yeah. surfing's not a a sport where you you know it's like golf. You're not going to make it off the prize money. You're going to make it off the endorsements. Yeah. And these guys have no way. And there's these kids now. They're like the kids that are you know Wilhelm Banks and Willem Banks and Cody Purcell. These guys you don't even know who are they are. Charging. They're charging. Yeah, I wouldn't bet against them. Yeah, you know, and and just give them opportunity to yeah. have a little taste of the the life I got to live. You know, it's all about giving back. That's yeah. it. It's all about sharing and and giving what you can. You it's know? what we preach. Support yeah. our local retailers. Support yeah. surfing. Support the yeah. Court. What? And this is a, you know, it's a spot. You know, it's a, yeah. it's we're lucky to have this. Yeah. I mean, it's not the surf shop that we grew up with, but it's the surf shop. Yeah. It is now, yeah. Yeah, it's, it was. It's, it's, Temples of Stoke. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's here, and, you know. And thanks, Bill. You yeah. know, I know it wasn't yeah. easy. And and thanks, Josh. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Yeah. You yeah. know, family-run business. That's that's as good as it gets. It's the backbone of our country. Yeah. 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 Well, again, thank you. Thank you, Gary Linden. You're a legend. Yeah. Um, thank you for all the accomplishments that you've made and sharing your stories with us. And again, to reiterate, thanks to the uh, Bernard family for putting this together. There's going to be more to come. 
episode two. Thanks, Shoots. Most likely. For the food and beers. Yeah, thank you, Shoots. Thanks, all uh, the sponsors. Pokey and beer, and thank you for all you guys that are still here. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming, you know. Yeah. And Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, man. Merry all right. Christmas. All right. Peace. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Bonsai Bowls, hands down the best bowls, period. Seven locations, two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls, go get some. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. Shade Sunscreen, the best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen, it's been around since the sun. Shade sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams, for our awesome artwork, and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.